the Oddities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times they crash, hard, into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I go I'm to the Bill. races. Oh, he's Ben. He's Ben. That's true. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Ben. Sorry, Ben. All habits start hard. And I go to the races to watch you make art. Even though there are moments where I have to close my eyes, there are moments that take my breath away. And let me tell you what movie takes my breath away. It's motherfucking Speed Racer. We're finally getting to it. It's something that I know I've wanted to talk about on this podcast since we started. I think Zach's in a similar boat. But it is finally happening. It only took us a little less than three years to get to it. So... Before we get to Speed Racer, just the usual things we have to talk about. Well, of course, everybody, come check out the Cinemodities Patreon. There's a lot of great stuff on there. Uh, I think we can say for certain, uh, just like last week, Ben was expecting the number of patrons to double, and it did. It went from one to two. Ben, you're like Nostradamus over here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. I can tell you. <laughs> so we uh we expect that by next week to double again we want to get that to four so uh that puts the uh the impetus on you uh population of cinema audience which now i think about is kind of weird because we we're like recording this in advance maybe it'll get to eight by this time who knows i don't know i don't know what numbers <laughs> are so with that out of the way unless ben has anything to say about the patreon we can jump into movies that should have changed the world and holy shit this is the movie in this series that I fundamentally believe should have changed the world. I love this. I love this movie. If uh, or, or anyone in our audience or Ben or Zach couldn't tell, and I want to start by saying, Zach was trying to get this out of the series at a certain point. It was a while ago. Yes. And if I remember correctly, Zach, you wanted to replace this with Cloud Atlas. And my big complaint was Mad Max Fury Road. I thought. It was. Well, Matt, I think I think there was a mix and match. I remember we were doing a Wachowski's talk, and that's why Cloud yes. Atlas came up. And I think that's what I'm remembering specifically here. But I said, well, no, Zach, Cloud Atlas can't be a movie that should have changed the world because it did change the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I stood fast. I said, Zach, we need to get to Speed Racer. I mean, if we ever do a Wachowski series, which is going to come up eventually, it's going to be so bogged down by the Matrix movies that I think this one deserves a little more special attention. And before I throw it over to you, Zach, there's, there's something I've always loved about Speed Racer, about the Wachowskis in general. Imagine, you're the Wachowskis. You just finished up the trilogy of Matrix movies that literally did change the world. Like, not even the film industry. Those Matrix movies changed the world. They were edgelord movies, of course, at the time, and it defined what cool <laughs> was for people. It might have not changed the world in the best way, but that was what, where the Wachowskis stood. What do you do next? You are the Wachowskis. You can do whatever you want. What do they do? Second unit directors on V for Vendetta, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always love that bit because people go, what do the Wachowskis do after the Matrix? Not even direct a movie. <laughs> So, Zach, since this was something you put in the spreadsheet originally for this series, I want to know, do you agree with me that this movie should have changed the world? Uh, 
First things first, Ben, would you mind turning the fan off? Thank you, Ben. Oh, I, I did. I, actually, I wasn't even noticing that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, no, for the audience at home. Yes, Rob, this movie should have changed the world for many reasons. But at the same time, though, I kind of can't blame mass audiences in 2000, 2008 for rejecting this film. Like, this movie is a masterpiece in that there's nothing else like it. And they'll probably, it's, it's funny. I never thought about it until after I, I haven't watched this movie in years, that how similar it is to the Tron, like the Tron films. And that, like, there, visually, there's nothing else quite like this. But at the same time, I really can't blame people for rejecting it. Um, and, like, you already mentioned Cloud Atlas and inevitably Jupiter Ascending. I think every Wachowski's film can be argued it should have changed the world. And outside of probably that first Matrix film, I don't think any of them really did. This, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up, that you don't blame or you understand why audiences rejected this in 2008. I do too, because they were all stupid. This movie is so far ahead of its time. I think to this day in 2020, it's still ahead of its time. But that's more of an argument because I think most of the Marvel movies and the franchises we got took us back in time. That's that's a conversation. For well, time. that's well, <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Like, I don't think it is. I think it, it's like, Rob, I'm not sure how much research you did for this episode, but you know what movie came out literally the weekend before this was released, right? Iron Man. Yes. Oh, like, in all, like, I, I, obviously, we've done many, many episodes regarding the travesty that is Marvel and its impact on the film industry. But is there a greater case of the first casualty of the first like of I'm sorry. Is there a better case to be made that the first casualty of the Marvel machine is Speed Racer? Like, it truly is the first body on the pile. No, of, of course, of course. And, you know, I think uh, the the thing that this movie didn't have going for it was it. this movie came out before Emile Hirsch choked a woman. But it came out. But Iron Man came out after Robert Downey Jr. was a heroin addict. So if you had to choose which movie to go see, you're going to go, what's the heroin addict going to do? You're not going to go, what is this kid I've never heard of going to do? I think we're getting. I thought he was a cokehead. I thought he was a cokehead. Who, Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah. No, he was a heroin fiend. Was he? I didn't yeah. know that. I thought it was oh, coke. Ben and I go hard on that in our check out the Patreon for the Kiss Kiss Bang Bang episode where we talk about how he's how he was uninsurable for most of his movies. <laughs> so I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. We have to ask the man of the hour the important questions. He's Ben. He's here. He's not been on this podcast since the beginning. He hasn't been hearing Rob and Zach say, oh, my God, we need to talk about the masterpiece that is Speed Racer. First question, Ben, have you ever seen this movie before this recording or watching it for this recording? No, I have okay. not seen it. Okay, okay. It. So I guess then the, the big question becomes, what did you think of it? And if you answer incorrectly, I will kick you from this call. <laughs> I will do what I should have done with Justin in Southland Tales. <laughs> I thought it was delightfully whimsical. I'll take that. That's fair. I would describe that as well. <laughs> Ben's like, I had a seizure, Rob. What do you expect from me? Um, I, I was a little taken aback by... It seemed like they computer-generated everything. Like, backgrounds of people on streets and stuff. Like, it all seemed like it was... There was, it, there was some modification to it. It just didn't look normal. Uh, so I was a little taken aback by that. It took me a few minutes probably to, like, accept that that's what I was going to be seeing for the rest of the time. That's a really good point, Ben, because they th this movie throws you into that. 
And that first like 10 minutes is overwhelming with that yeah. stylistic and that those that stylist choice, those visuals. And it's so like, that's fair. <laughs> like when he comes out of the school for the first time, I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> that's not what outside looks like. Um, but yeah, once I got past that, I mean, I, I, I definitely I don't know that much about the Speed Racer franchise or, or you know, uh, series, the cartoon series or anything. So I I went into it really as a blank slate and I, I found it enjoyable. Definitely was not a waste of time. Would rent again. OK, OK. Well, that is uh, that is good to hear. Um, I, I think, you know. It'll be interesting as we get into this movie more with what I think it means, which is I think what really – like the message of this movie is really what I think makes it a masterpiece. But it is completely bolstered by the stylism, the visual visuals of this movie. I don't think – one of the reasons I think this is completely ahead of its time, no one else in history, no other filmmakers ever have created a movie that looks like live-action anime. That is what – that this is like I love that you know every time there's a person in the foreground and they're like talking to each other it is so clear that they are separate from the background like you can tell that there's a green screen but that's what animation and anime from the 60s and 70s were the time of Speed Racer they would do like the static background you could tell that the things on the foreground were on a different plane and they would move independently of everything being still in the background I love that this movie captures the visuals of watching old school anime in live action form. It is just beautiful to me. And the whole panning, like that's the idea of old school animation. You animate one thing, the background, and to save on animation, you just pan that background, you know? And that's what all the edits in this movie are. You see people's heads swipe across the screen and it changes the background. I This is one of the reasons I think the Wachowskis were so ahead of their time. They took the visuals of something that was so specific and transferred it to the screen. To a live action screen. And I love that aspect about this movie. But you're right, Ben. It is wildly overwhelming in that first 10 minutes. I I have to say, though, uh, this movie took itself seriously in a way that I would not expect from a movie like this. Yes. And uh, yes. A, as a result, uh, let's see, what's what's the subreddit? Bad taste, great execution, something like that. Okay. That, that It put me in the mindset of that. Like, they... They took they took it seriously and they executed it almost flawlessly, I think, for for what they were doing. But they were executing, like you said, a, a TV show from like the sixties or something. Yes. So like, yeah. it's there are definitely some things about it that were, uh, well, you know, if uh, let me let me put it this way: if if somebody was writing a story today, they wouldn't do those things. Yep. But god damn it, this movie did it and took it seriously. I, I think that's another reason I love this movie. There is 0% irony. Like, this movie is sincere. Like, it, oh, yes. It takes itself it. so sincerely. And I love that. Because, you know, I've, I think of – well, this was 2008. But you think of those other old cartoon movies. Like, I guess since John Goodman's in this one, of course, Zach, I always think of the, um, the Flintstones live-action movie. And that is they clearly know they're making a live action movie about a goofy cartoon from the 50s. So they're going to poke fun at it. The Scooby Doo movies, too, I guess, are another example. Take an old cartoon, make it live action and they go, what do we do? Well, there has to be all these in jokes. And I think the one everybody knows is, well, Shaggy's a stoner. So he's going to sit down on the plane next to the girl and go, what's your name? 
Matthew Lillard is going to go, what's your name? Mary Jane? That's like my favorite name. And it's like there's no point in this movie where they focus on the fact that they are in an old school cartoon show. Like they own it. Even the fucking ninja scene near the in the like the second act of the movie, you have Spritel and Chim Chim do the whole like anime style, like wah, and it's just like yeah, that because that's what this movie is. They're they're not saying it's like what did you do that? You just hung in the air for ten seconds. Like why didn't you attack them? And it's like no, that is them attacking them in the reality of this film. Uh, definitely. The and something I thought was kind of great about that is they show him doing this like that wah attack thing, and then they're just like on the ninja's legs, yes, <laughs> like yes. just holding him still. <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, and I mean they had done that that kind of anime thing earlier when they saw Chim Chim and um, and Spritel watching TV. They were watching some some kind of weird animation show. Yep, and, and they were doing the they, voice acting, or they were like uh, lip syncing to it and all that stuff, and. And he's like, and are then, you, what are you doing? Nothing. Is it the same nothing that broke my vase? This is a different kind of nothing. <laughs> it's totally different nothing. And I, you know, that was, that was fun. Uh, and seeing those kind of like flashy backgrounds and, and shit. And it sets you up for, for what you can expect from this movie, I guess. Oh yeah. Oh my God. The colors in this movie. I absolutely love. I Very love good. that they just, they own it's it's not like another movie that we talked about on here a while ago where I'm like, oh, they're just throwing the physics away right at the beginning. Charlie's Angels full throttle. Like, remember that, Zach? Where it's just like, <laughs> good, old, when, good old helicopter. Yeah, when Charlie's Angels full throttle starts, you're just like, okay, physics do not matter. And then the same thing in this movie, when that race starts, you're like, okay, you know, these pe- these people are driving cars the way that you play with toys. And that that just makes the universe, and they just own it completely, and I love it. Okay, I could I could just go ranting forever. Zach, is there any sort of organization you would like to give to this episode? Otherwise, Rob, I'm just gonna Rob. vomit on the screen <laughs> on the yes. on the listeners. You're gonna vomit in the your microphone, ears. Or something. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna vomit in the listeners' ears. Could no, you Rob, tell you though I con- love this movie. <laughs> Rob, there's context to this. Like, there's really important Rob and Zach context. This I'm not sure if you remember. Was we talked about this film's context quasi in our second episode? It's either our no, it's our third episode ever or fourth. No, fourth episode in Star Wars: The Clone Wars. Uh, Do you remember? I was about to say it can't be the third episode because I'm pretty sure that's Endless. Frank Ocean. And if Speed Racer came up during Endless, that would have been a strange conversation. If only, if only. You know how so, Speed no, Racer is really colorful? Endless is black and white. <laughs> I, yes, and there's a Playboy Bunny sweater, which is not in Speed Racer. It's the only <laughs> thing that's not in the film. Um, no, so like going to context with this, this was, this was this movie came out in May of 2008, right? As Rob and Zach were really getting to know each other. This was the spring of Guitar Hero, Aerosmith. This was that period where Rob and Zach were kind of getting our, our feelers for each other. And I remember going to see this movie opening weekend. I'm not sure if Rob remembers because I knew for a fact at the time that the Star Wars, the Clone Wars trailer was playing in front of it. Ah. That's the only reason why I saw this movie in theaters. And I, and Rob's going to love this part of the story. I brought my mother and cousin to go see it. And we were forced to sit like Rob knows the seats at the Galleria. It was in the big theater. I can go dig out the ticket stubs to verify this if I have to. 
<laughs> um, I still have the ticket stubs for Speed Racer. And we had to sit, like, Rob knows, like, that main aisle. We had to sit below there. So, like, Ooh. we were kind of, like, craning our neck upwards for two and a half hours. And I can still remember at the very end of the movie, my mother and my cousin were like, this was sensory overload. And I'm like, no, this was pretty great. Like, this was a fantastic movie and i remember afterwards i we went to best buy and i bought the nintendo wii game for it did we ever play the nintendo wii game rocks i know you were vehemently against the nintendo wii yeah i don't think we ever did um i don't remember playing a lot of games on the wii with you ever well because remember have you ever said what your opinion on the nintendo wii is like you're like like capsule review of the console. Oh, oh we ever God. talked about that on the podcast. I don't think so. But I it's remember been so long. It's bas- isn't it basically something like nobody wants to exercise while they're playing video games. Just let me no. sit there. I, I no, remember saying no, that no. a good bunch as well. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is probably the most profound thing someone ever said about Nintendo Wii. And this is what Rob's anal- like analysis slash metaphor was. Nintendo Wii is kind of like unprotected sex. It sounds great in concept, but once you do it, you realize, oh, maybe this isn't the best choice I could have made. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you used to go I gotta around telling people in 2008. I haven't used that in, since high school then. I gotta use that for more things. <laughs> it's great. It's kind of like, blank is kind of like unprotected sex. Yes. It sounds great in concept, but in execution, you realize you could have done much better. <laughs> um, but yes, that was his, and that, like, that was, anyway, though, that's neither here nor there. I remember getting Nintendo Wii game. My cousin and I came home and started playing it, and her response was, wow, somehow this is worse than the movie. And I have to say, the game is actually pretty good. Like, I, like it's probably my favorite Nintendo Wii game. Like, the bar is incredibly low, but at the same time, though, it's a pretty fun game. Is it straight racing, or is it like a mix of racing and platforming, or what is it? No, no, no. It's straight up racing, okay. but it does a pretty good job at emulating the car foo of the movie. Okay, okay. And so that... That was no, like the game's actually a lot of fun. Like, if anybody has their Wii still hooked up, go try to track down a copy of the game. It's a lot of fun. I've always enjoyed it, it was always my go to Wii game. But no, that was the context this week. So I remember the Wii, that Monday coming to school and asking Rob, like, oh, like I saw Speed Racer, like, like, what, like, are you interested in it? And Rob was like, yeah, I watched it. And I'm like, oh, so like he goes to the movies just as much as I do. And then I, it was my first instance I ever knew about Rob. And obviously his use of the torrents, I was like, uh, and then like it came out a couple of weeks later, like, oh, Rob didn't go to the theater for this. He watched it on the Internet. And I'm like, oh, oh, I, I definitely did not love it as much as I do now because I, well, one, I was young and stupid. So I was watching things online like, you know, this was the time period of when I was watching like Speed Racer, I think. The, the Edward Norton Hulk I watched online later. I definitely watched The Happening online, and I was just like, well, if I can find it, I'll check it out. I, I was also stupid, so I didn't get the visuals, but I was also young and dumb enough to not really understand what this movie was saying. I definitely thought it was just like, cars, racing, haha, action, you know? And that's, I think that's the farthest thing this movie is about now. Um, but I, I eventually got a fairly, not the greatest quality copy, um, from someone that I went to undergrad with, and I started to f- fall in love with the movie more. And then eventually, with uh, the other half of An Inspirator Complex, Jeremy, we found a copy of the movie that is fantastic quality, absolutely huge file size, and you can see 
everything in it, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> and that's how I watch it today, but like I was saying before we started recording, I, I think I want to get this on Blu-ray because, god damn, I know, once again, I'm jumping all over the place, I could watch that last, like, seven minutes on loop. Like, when it goes full 2001 Space Odyssey, when the finish line wraps around <laughs> into a circle as he crosses it, I'm just like, I want to cry. It's so good. <laughs> that is a trip. Like, that, I can still remember watching that in the theater in 2008 and being like, man, this is a trip. It's, and, it's, like, it is. That final, like, sequence. Yes. It is one of the few instances, and that's why I compare it to two, that, the end of 2001 Space Odyssey, where narrative and storytelling barely matters it is visual and sonic emotional resonance and that's what filmmaking should be it should be you see something you hear something and it makes you feel something like at the end of the movie at the end of speed racer if you're like well i don't get it did he do a loop-de-loop and it made it look like a circle around his car like fuck that that is not the point the wachowskis are trying to make you feel Feel something, and you don't need dialogue to do that. You just need crazy visuals and awesome music, and they succeed phenomenally. I don't think anybody watching this movie at any period in its existence for 12 going on 13 years now at that sequence is like, oh, what is happening right now? I think it's just sensory. Like, if you're not properly engaged, I think it's just sensory overload at that point. If yes. you're not engaged, well, with the film. I, I guess I, I don't think that. anyone's. I don't. I think everyone's just like, okay, like, you're either, I, that's the thing about this movie, is that, like, you're either, like, you already talked about, in that first 10 minutes, it's a great way to either get on board or get off. You're either oh, yeah. engaged, you're not engaged after that first 10 minutes. Well, I, I think I bring up that, that ending, and, and really the whole movie could be talked about in this way, because in my research, I guess we should say that I think we're all aware that this movie did not get a lot of good uh, acclaim when it came out. People did not enjoy it. I think it was a box office bomb, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, this, this lost movie did not make so money. much money. Um, and, God, this is one of those things they put so much marketing into from what I, I researched. But, like, one of the things that I found a lot in reviews of this movie back in 2008 were people were like, the physics don't make sense. Like, how do cars move this way? Like, I don't get it. And I'm like, that – What? I'm like, this is what, seven, six, uh, five, set, five to seven years after Charlie's Angels movies? Like, we know that we can throw <laughs> physics away from things. This is not a new concept. I mean, Crouching I Tiger, like Hidden Dragon came out and was critically acclaimed. Like, we, we know what wire foo is. We know that Asian people in Ang Lee's movies can fly. Like, why, why when you get Emil Hirsch in a car, all of a sudden you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Well, like, that's the thing, though, that's fascinating about this movie is that, like, is, like, as you know, Rob, and I think our audience can gauge by now. Is that, like, I wasn't like I didn't have my finger on the pulse of Hollywood at this time. This was like really before that. But like, you could just like I think about this. Like, the summer of two thousand eight is probably one of the most important summers for movies ever. Because think about that. Like, in May of two thousand eight, you get Iron Man, which to this day we are still feeling the ripples of that film's success. Yes. The beginning of the end. Yes. <laughs> Yes, the beginning of the end. <laughs> and then two and a half months later, you get The Dark Knight. Yep. Like, yep. like think about that. And, like, we wouldn't really – if it wasn't for The Avengers in May of 2012, The Dark Knight thing of, like, having the, like, the dark brooding sequel wouldn't have been thrown out the window. And that's the thing. Like, this was a summer, like, chock full of, like, movies. Like, think about it. Like, like two weeks after Speed Racer, you get Indiana Jones and the King of the Crystal Skull. 
So, like, it was a summer that had a lot going on. Like, it was a summer that kind of, like, changed the trajectory of how Hollywood was, like, doing things. And it's weird. Like, it's not weird. Because, like, this movie, I get why it didn't click with modern audiences. What I find shocking is that, like, nobody in the industry tried to follow the example that the Wachowskis are trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's the most, like, disappointing thing is not that it didn't make any money. It's the fact that it didn't, and this goes to the thesis of the series, is that, like, it didn't change how anyone thought about movies. And that's truly the most disappointing part of this. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you'll have, like, and this is where, like, I think I talked about it earlier, like, in this month, and that, like, you'll have movies like, like, Guardians of the Galaxy come out. It's not the most successful movie. It's not even the highest grossing movie of that year. Yet it had a fundamental impact on how movies are made and how they're crafted and and even how they're marketed. And yet, like, you'll have something like this where it's truly revolutionary in almost every single sense of the word. And yet, like, it's it's the equivalent of Tron. They'll there's never been a movie like it, and there'll never be another movie to be made like this again. Like even like what you were getting at, like how they filmed certain things. Like they filmed the actors, then they would go and film the backgrounds and composite them, like cell animation. And you're never going to get that again. You're like with HD cameras now. Now that you can do like 8K resolution, they'll just film everything. That everything's in focus. Every single aspect of the frame is in focus, so you don't have to do that. And yet, at the same time, you're losing that aesthetic, what, I don't want to say exception, but aesthetic, like, oh, God, individuality almost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think think Chris said it well when we did Starship Troopers with him. You know, he complained a little bit about the Marvel movies, which I always love hearing. But uh, you have floating heads. You know, you have Robert Downey Jr.'s head surrounded by a CGI suit. Does that look good? I don't think so. Some people probably fine with it. But I would imagine that the same people that are fine with it don't think this looks good because it's so clearly an effect. But that, like I was saying earlier, that's what animation is. Animation is all an effect. But I think, I think since we, you bring up a good point with Tron, I wasn't really thinking about the similarities between the looks of, of these two movies. I think they're both beautiful in their own way. But I brought up the Wachowskis last week when we discussed Tron and Tron Legacy the effect of Tron on the Matrix, on the Wachowskis, and then, of course, the effect of the Matrix on Tron Legacy. Now we're actually talking about the Wachowskis proper. Um, I have to ask two questions. One, Ben, what do you think about the Wachowskis? Two, what does your cat think about the Wachowskis? Because I've been watching your cat fuck around in the background for, like, the last two minutes. Your cat's, like, been not knocking your mirror around. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I mean, as I'm sure the audience knows at this point, directors and stuff are not the things I pay attention to about movies. So I don't really know anything about I, I guess maybe, maybe the better question is, I know you mentioned it when we discussed Keanu Reeves on our Patreon a little bit, but I guess the first Matrix, or the Matrix trilogy, when's the last time you saw those? Has it been a while? Oh, God, I was, I was young. Okay, I was definitely okay. under 15, probably... Okay, okay. So, yeah, I think that's what I was getting at. The the visual style, of course, the Matrix movies and this are very different, um, but they're both very unique in that sense. And um, I guess I, I, on to tail on Zach's 
point. What did you think about the visuals, or maybe did you have any comparisons on the visuals between Speed Racer and Tron Legacy? Um, yeah, I guess uh, in the fact, I guess we're talking about now that the fact they are almost all CGI. Yeah, so so that's what I was going to bring up is that they they are almost all CGI, and you and you do get a little bit of this the same kind of vibes, like especially with uh, the way that vehicles are rendered. But really, I think they're two very different examples of what can be done with that technology. Because as as you already mentioned, like Speed Racer, they they did the stuff with the background where they you know they they did they they mo- uh, were trying to kind of mock or simulate that uh, that anime feel, and Tron was going for a very I, I don't know like realistic or at least yeah I guess realistic type of type of feel for what a computer world might be, and this yeah. was going for like a, an anime version of what a world might be where cars can jump around and and uh you know whatever so i i think i think they're just they're very different examples of what can be done with with the same technology or, yeah, uh, or that's similar a, technology that's a good way to put it because they definitely are both you know now that you now that zach mentioned i'm definitely thinking of it like striking in in such different ways and that's a good way to put it ben like this is the if we made a, a a live action anime film versus Tron being a live action, let's be inside a computer film. <laughs> yeah, and that, yeah, that is a really interesting idea for sure. I mean, even just the whole the like I said before, the look of this movie, the colors and stuff, the editing. I I think it's all great. And I mean, even when when I say editing, I do mean like the the transitions, like when the heads floating heads go by and we see different things. But even the way the film is edited between certain viewpoints like the one that always has always stood out to me is you have Royalton our villain and we'll have to get into Roger Allen because that performance is awesome and Royalton is explaining to Speed Racer like listen you're a fool if you think anything you do matters like you are a tool for the money machine like everything we've ever done is controlled and you can't fight that and in the middle of that speech it'll cut back to the chimpanzee eating a bunch of candy and it's just it's just, that editing is also crazy as well and i find that absolutely insane that this movie gets that kind of you know just it's all over the place at all times and i think that adds to the the world of this as well and like we were saying earlier ben it's not done in irony you know it's not like they're trying to undercut speed racer's journey it's just that one of the pl- subplots of this movie is that spritel and chim Chim, chim, chim want candy <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, well, I, have a qu- I have a question though like what is your guys history with the like speed racer like anime in the english dub slash adaptation of the series like in the 90s i'm so glad that you asked that zach ben do you have any do you have any history no i i've not seen i've not seen any of it my history is the song on YouTube that I sent to both Zach and Ben <laughs> prior to this recording, because I found about that, maybe not in the 90s, of course, but in early 2000s, I found something known as the Speed Racer Dirty Remix. Here he comes, here comes Speed Racer. Here he comes, 
And I talked to Zach a little bit about this before we started recording. I didn't know if he was joking or not. The first half of the song is just like a good kind of clubhouse dance remix of Speed Racer, the theme, and, you know, clips from the English version of the show. But then about halfway through, it turns into sex noises between Trixie and Speed Racer. (laughs) Zach, when you said you didn't realize this, were you being serious? How do you not realize this? I I don't have that sort of mind for this sort of thing. Like it's, I think, it's, I, I, it's literally uh 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 for a minute and a half. I know because like okay, <laughs> this is the reason why I didn't think of it this way. 
because like I remember when this movie came out in 2008, like I had watched <laughs> because like, sex is English... a sin. <laughs> yeah, sex is a sin. I am Christopher Nolan, just the younger version of him. And like I remember, like I can I watched the English like Cartoon Network quote unquote dub of Speed Racer like in the late 90s, early 2000s. So like I always knew that like the original anime was like always somewhat butchered because like in ref like at the time in 2008 I knew like what four kids did to Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh, yeah. So like I knew what it was like when like an English distributor got a hold of like something that was like a foreign thing. And I think Power so, like, Rangers I- is another example. Yeah. Oh, I never delved into Power Rangers. Like I never. Yeah, like I said, I never. Again, Power Rangers is its own thing because like it's well, live action versus. Um, so like, yeah, so like I beginning to your point though, Rob's like, no, like I've always looked at Speed Racer with a certain layer of like, like with my head, I don't want to say with cynicism, but like with my head tilted to the side, like I never took it too seriously. And that's the thing I find like now rewatching the movie for the first time in like maybe almost 10 years is that like. This film feels less of an adaptation of the original, like, Japanese anime and more of, like, an adaptation of the English dub in that, like, there's things about this movie that feel like, oh, it's their interpretation of the Cartoon Network syndication of it than the source material. And I find that is a concept fascinating that that's what i found in my research that this is an adaptation of the english version which is what the wachowskis would have known more of i think um because i think what they're from chicago or something like that yeah um, and and so i i found that very interesting as well um i have never seen any of the original speed racer the closest thing i have to it is the song and i will have put the song <laughs> in before i said it was sex noises so everybody can hear it, and we can see, like, is Zach some type of prude that doesn't think about sex a lot? Uh, but, <laughs> but I think the other closest thing to Speed Racer was that there was a segment on Kablam, the Nickelodeon show, where there was a rabbit in, like, a Mach 5-esque car that was racing other animals in race cars, and they haul uh, all these gadgets and stuff. And that's the closest I ever came to watching Speed Racer. Race Rabbit tearing up the tracks With his Turbo Rabbit Racer and the Super Chip Max He's a burning rubber bunny with the need for speed But he's always got time for anybody in need Go, go, Race Rabbit with the turbo thrust Cause those inbred foolies from the upper crust Wanna catch you and stuff you but they're way too slow So go, Race Rabbit, go, go, go I don't remember, I don't think it was called Speed Rabbit Cause that seems too easy but that's that's my history of Speed Racer. So I think all of us we have very little knowledge about Speed Racer, and I don't know. Maybe that works to the benefit of this movie. Uh, that was one thing I was trying to find when I was looking into reviews of this back in two thousand eight. I couldn't find too many, but fans or people that were writing reviews that were fans of the original series or the English dub, there wasn't too much of the um, to use something of modern times. Not my Speed Racer. <laughs> and that's I was interested in. Like, did people who liked Speed Racer did not like this? But I couldn't find too much. They seemed to be kept pretty separate, at least from the reviews I read. I can't imagine if you were a big fan of Speed Racer, seeing a $200 million plus adaptation of it, like, on the big screen. I can't imagine being disappointed with this. Like, I just, like, I clearly, like, I don't think there's any, like, 
at least when it comes to American audiences, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but like I can't imagine like growing up with either the original anime or the English dub and then seeing this and being like angry with it. I just like it, it, you said sincerity. Like it yeah. doesn't feel like a cynical cash grab. It feels like even if the Wachowskis misinterpreted it, they at least cared about what they were doing. Like there's not there's not like this. That's the thing. Like a lot of people were like, oh, this film like like it's not sarcastic. Like you were saying, Rob. Like there's never any that sort of like tongue in cheek thing of like winking at the audience. Like oh, like well, we talked about in the past like that Guardians of the Galaxy phenomenon where it's like oh, it's a raccoon in a talking tree. Isn't this crazy? Yeah. Like there's never any of that. Like everything is played a hundred percent straight which i've talked about like that's my favorite form of camp is when it's played a hundred percent straight and i i love the fact that this film never deviates away from that and i think that's what anyone watching a 200 million dollar live action adaptation of the source material i can't see anyone being flustered with 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 this oh it's, it's so and you're so right that the that this movie benefits from them keeping it pure because even one instance of making fun of, like, you know, a dubbed anime would ruin it. Like, imagine during the last race when it's cutting to all those announcers and one of them did the thing where their mouth moves and, like, only opens three times, but then they say, like, six sentences. You know, like the Kung Pao enter the fist thing? Like, that, the, an overdubbing joke would ruin it. Uh, the whole thing is, like, uh, of... Didn't of they just... do an overdubbing joke with Spritel and Shim Shim watching that anime? Well, no, but they were lip-syncing the words perfectly. It wasn't like the, you know, and like, it's like you open your mouth once and six things come out. Ben, are you referencing the line where Pops Racer comes in? He's like, it's in German, not the monkey parts. No, earlier, I think. No, or, yeah, earlier. earlier. The, 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 the part... vase breaking where mom's, yeah. mom comes oh. in. No, I remember, I'm pretty sure they, they are lip-syncing the words perfectly. Okay, I'll, I'll watch it. I mean, I'll probably watch it again anyway because I, I rented it. <laughs> For 48 hours, and why not? <laughs> it should be on loop if you got it for 48 hours. <laughs> well, if I wasn't recording right now, it would be on still. So I watched it right before this. <laughs> I think what Ben's trying to say, Rob, is that we have to end the recording now so you can just keep watching until the 48 hours is over. Then we pick up the recording. <laughs> That's true. That could work for me. No, I mean, I, I love how sincere it is. I love how, you know, kind of... Uh, to go back to what you said, Ben, you know... Um, whimsical that's a great way to put it and it's whimsical in such a sincere form like one of the things that always gets me in that what the um the the second big race the qualifying race on the uh the like the cross-country race they have to go on all those other teams of racers are trying to take out speed and as we see them we get like the flashback of how they were bribed by Royalton. And it's just so goofy because there's a certain point when, like, the gangster-type people get given a bunch of money and their eyes turn into dollar signs. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that was totally anime. Like, that's some shit I would expect to see from, like, uh, what's that, that anime called? Like, the Get Backers or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And j just the other two that we see because I love it. So the gangsters get the money. The, the women get paid in diamonds because, of course, yeah. diamonds are a girl's best friend. And the Norsemen get paid in furs. <laughs> I I really did appreciate the the Norseman getting paid in first. That was great. Oh yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm just so I'm just so like in love well, with how goofy and whimsical this movie is. And so some of some of the other things, if we're talking about the goofy whimsical stuff, is like the the snake oil guy. Like he he literally has oil that he drops on on the track at some point. <laughs> yeah. Before that, 
he launches a snake into someone else's car. Yes. Like that's one of the weapons that he that he puts on his car is he <laughs> he can throw snakes. It's just I mean that's some shit that nobody would do in real life and <laughs> he they they don't make fun of it, they just do it. They look you straight in the face. Yep. And pee on you and tell you they're peeing on you. There's a <laughs> there's a bee's nest in a catapult at a certain point. <laughs> Well, okay, my favorite, like, car, what do you want to call it, car battle, is when you have the two women, and it has, like, the little, like, what, like, drill bit that's trying to puncture the tires, <laughs> and then at one point, Speed Racer pulls out, sh- like, we see, it, it's alluded to earlier, that like, there's defensive, like, capabilities once he, like, enters the race, and it's like, and he actually pulls out this little shield that he's, he has a little joystick for, and he actually has to start, like, deflecting shots with it. They're dueling. The They're fa- dueling with hubcap hub attachments. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> despite the fact that neither one of them can see what the other is doing. And <laughs> well, I just yeah, love I, that. It doesn't I, matter. It's just happening. I think at that point, Speed is, like, kind of looking over in that direction. Like, the shot that we get of him, like, his eyes are kind of, like, tilted over toward towards the side of the car. But they are totally doing... <laughs> like delicate maneuvers with yes. with this drill shield thing and you see speed's thumb moving around on a joystick like he totally it, we're supposed to believe he's totally in control of that gadget um that was definitely that was definitely fun to watch oh yeah uh, i was just like this is one of those movies that i just watch and i'm just like gleeful the entire way through like it is it is just so much fun <laughs> Okay, not not to kind of like pour cold water on this, Uh-oh. but like one thing I have to say though is that like animal cruelty. The, well, of course that goes without saying. They probably yeah, Ben. The they beat one of the monkeys that played Chim Chim. <laughs> what? Uh, apparently, it was it was confirmed that like the one of the there were two chimpanzees that played Chim Chim. And one of them bit Spritel's stand-in when they were, like, preparing for a scene. And the trainer, like, hit it. Like, whacked it. <laughs> okay. And so Peter got up in arms and, you know, the animal. I mean, that's how we teach children stuff. I mean, yeah, but then, if it's an animal, it's not okay. <laughs> I, that's, uh, that seems like classical Darwin, like, conditioning. Like, you bite people, you get hit. Now bite people. <laughs> If a human bites a person, they get hit. If an animal bites a person, they get put on a pedestal by PETA and goes, thank you for fighting the bad humans. Unless it's a dog, and then it gets put down. So, like, <laughs> Unless so, it's yeah, a dog, not... it's not a movie star, I should say. Yes. So, yeah, not to throw cold water on this, but animal cruelty happened behind <laughs> the scenes of this movie. No, wh- Okay, now that I set the mood, Zach, what did you want to dour things oh, down with even more? That's funny. That's really funny, actually. <laughs> no, the thing, the thing uh, is that it was actually confirmed, just from what I've read. Was that... it? Was it confirmed? I've always read about that, but I didn't know, like, where to go. Did... Like, like, who confirmed it? Was it PETA? It was, was no, no, no. PETA made the allegation, from what I read, and then the animal rights group people that were on the set of the movie actually confirmed it after the allegations were made. So, how? what kind of smack are we talking? Was it, like, a smack on the hand? Like, you, like... Was it a backhand? Was it was it a, like did it, did he cock back? Was it closed handed smack, which is also known as a punch? Like what? I'm I'm so glad you're asking these questions because this is one of those movies that I'm so into. I don't take a lot of notes, but I took notes on my research for the animal cruelty incident because I knew it was going to have to come up. The representative from the American Humane Association quote said, "The trainer, in an uncontrolled impulse, hit the chimpanzee." That's all we got. Mm. 
So he probably backhanded the monkey. I I was about to say I could only hope, but that'll probably get us in more <laughs> trouble. <laughs> but how else are you going to hit a monkey? <laughs> so little information. I cannot conclude that it was cruel. Well, uh, well, no. If you're on PETA's side, if you touch any animal ever, you're cruel to that animal. Like Ben, if you turned around and, is cruel. If, if you turned yeah, around right, right now and touched your cat, Ben, PETA would be all over your ass, okay? Ben's looking at her cat. I mean, you said something was going to be all over my ass. That sounded appealing. So. <laughs> you can you can have a lot of things over your ass that are good. Pete is not one of them. <laughs> uh, are you oh sure? Oh, my God. I'm, I don't know. I don't know from experience. Pretty certain. I, pretty certain. Love, Rob's I like, I'm pretty certain. It's <laughs> pretty good. Um, the other thing that I found about the animal cruelty is that um, the – the AHA, so as I said, the American Humane Association, you know, they're the ones that there's always somebody on set, and at the end of the credits it says, you know, the AHA made sure that no animals are harmed during the making of this movie. They put Speed Racer on their unacceptable list of movies after this. Because somebody with an undetermined amount of force and and yes. just in general no details whatsoever hit a chimp? Yes. Like, do God. Fine. Whatever. If we learning, if we've learned anything today, you can never touch an animal. Period. Like I hate when I go to aquariums and they have the stingrays in the in the pools, and the person's like, "Take your two fingers and gently rub their back," and you do that, and then you get arrested immediately. Like it's it's basically like the um, to catch a predator of animal abuse. So those fucking waiting pools and aquariums. <laughs> I like that. There's an aquarium gonna, entrapment. Chris Hansen pops say, out. What were you planning to do with that stingray? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I don't... I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, obviously, I don't condone beating animals. But if an animal bites a child and I'm near it, I'm probably going to do worse than hit it with at an impulse. Like, I might... <laughs> In all seriousness, uh, I totally agree with you, Ben. If an animal bites me and breaks the skin like i'm I'm not gonna be kind to it from that point on i'll tell you that much i'm definitely gonna condition it not to bite me again at the very least <laughs> am i the only person who saw this is like the canary in the coal mine for harambe <laughs> <laughs> oh man we just went full meme right there <laughs> am i the only person that sympathizes with the monkeys more than the humans am i i guess i'm in the minority I mean, all the weird stuff so Zach, I mean, do you really think that monkeys are somehow better than children? Like, yeah, yes, monkeys are dumb and they can't 100%. defend themselves. Like, children Cons- are also dumb and Cons- can't defend themselves. Like, what, Exa- what, 100%. what's the difference for you? Considering, I don't know what your stance on this is, Ben, but considering Rob's stance on, like, human beings is that, like, we should be, like, a renewable source of energy. Was it renewable source? Oh, yeah, of course. Babies are a renewable resource. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Which might be genuinely one of the most horrific things you could ever say in your lifetime, um, but like no, like by all means, I was like, it's like, wh- why are we, why are we backhanding the monkeys and shooting them? I'm like, it's the people there, stupid. Like you make a bad mistake, you have to eat that mistake. Uh, oh no, no well, I'm on this, the monkey side. And in this particular instance, this kid was working. Like, did the kid smack the monkey first before it bit him? Probably. Like, what- Probably monkey's probably minding his own business. The kid's probably I, dangling like a, like a bag of Cheerios. The monkey was probably minding his own business before they took him to the movie set. After exactly, that, exactly, exactly. There you go. Thank the, you. The AHA representative reported that the actor was bit without provocation. Okay, what does that mean, really? 
what it means is what, that, I mean, okay, do we want to be in the world where nothing matters, which I'm totally fine with, or do we, we be in the world where reports have some standing? Because <laughs> that's all no we standing. have for this. I, I prefer mean, that. Do we, all no wanna, do we all want to say, nothing fucking matters, this AHA representative clearly lied, and he hit the chimp himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm with Rob on this one. We have this report to go off of. This report gives us no details about the, the alleged yes. hit of the monkey. It does give us details about a monkey biting a small child. Presumably a small child. I actually don't know how small the child was. I don't, I don't all, know what the stand-in was. All I'll say is Harambe lives matter. End of <laughs> sentence. Uh, I mean, but that's a whole different scenario. Like you're talking, about, you're talking about the difference between like somebody was dumb enough to get in a cage at a zoo... Like, that gorilla was minding his own business, not at all trying to climb out of that cage and get whoever it was that was in there. Same and, principle. Poor, it's poor Chim Chim. The, the poor Chim Chim actor was probably minding his own business, eating a banana somewhere, somewhere in some jungle, and somebody kidnaps him and puts him, like, in a weird beanie on a speed racer set <laughs> with a bunch of crazy people and, like, psychedelic imagery and a bunch of green screens. They're and, like, think about it. I'm pretty sure I could say without a doubt that if I was put on a Wachowski film set, I would try to bite somebody. Like, there, like I would not put that past myself. Don't mind if I was a primate. I, I give the monkey the benefit of the doubt in this I, instance. I'm not, Someone I'm not, deserved to be bit on that set, most likely. But it wasn't the only mistake. The it should. Yes, it should have been a Wachowski that probably should have been bitten at the very been, least. I mean, by your by your uh, assertions here, it should have been whoever owned the monkey. But my assertion is that probably the monkey overheard the Wachowskis talking about their idea for Jupiter Ascending, like in the most primitive early stages. And the monkey was like, oh, God, Bela Kunis, Queen of the Bees, royalty, and just lashed out like any normal creature would have when they heard that plot in its most abstract like state described to another human being. <laughs> Am I the only person here that's seen Jupiter Ascending? Otherwise, I will stop the joke. I think so. I've still. Uh, that's I have like, not seen that. I, that's uh, only one of two Wachowskis. Rob, how have you not seen Jupiter Ascending? Because it makes sense. I haven't seen well, their first he, movie. I haven't seen their last every time movie. It, every time it was on, he wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I oh, gave so up you, after so the monkey the, got hit. <laughs> so what you're saying is that Rob is like the vast majority of human beings on this planet. Well, like every time well, Jupiter well, Ascending was playing, he looked the other way. What I'm saying is that. The way Rob goes about not seeing movies is roughly the way that everybody goes about not seeing movies. Okay, good. I'll take that. <laughs> I think. But I mean, it's I the most conventional thing Rob has ever done in his life, not seeing Jupiter Ascender. It's the only way Rob has aligned with the mass the masses in that regard. Reach out to us at cinemodities at gmail.com or join in on the discussion at the Cinemodities subreddit. Who was in the wrong, the chimpanzee or the stand-in for Spritel? <laughs> Comment down below. Was in the wrong, if any human was in the wrong, it was the trainer. Contact us at cinemodities at gmail.com <laughs> or join in on the discussion on the Cinemodities for subreddit to talk about, well, should the trainer have hit the monkey harder? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, wanna, I wanna clarify that. I didn't I don't mean the trainer was in the wrong for hitting the monkey. If a if a monkey bites a child near me, I'm gonna hit it. <laughs> the trainer might have been in the wrong for putting the monkey near a child. I'm pretty sure now Cinemati is gonna be on Pete's dirty list as well as the American Humane Society. I'm all, I'm down to be on dirty list. Comment that down below like... if you think Cinemati <laughs> should have blood spread on their fur coats. <laughs> Can we hug some we... animals in the making of this? <laughs> Is Rob? Uh, God, it's Ben slowly eyes his cat staring at me. I, I think my cat found his way out of my room. Oh, okay. 
I feel like we're gonna get back into the movie, and then out of nowhere in the background, we're just gonna be like, <laughs> and Ben's gonna be like, "Sorry, I forgot I wasn't muted." <laughs> and then he's gonna come back. My cat bit me. I swear. I swear. <laughs> My AHA representative can confirm, and he's going to go, yeah, the cat bit him. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. But that was a tangent. Yes, that was a tangent to end all tangents. Um, to get me back to, like, raining on this film's parade, like, as someone who's seen this film a couple times now, I kind of found this film, like, rewatching it for this recording – kind of baffling that like there are certain characters that just kind of show up without any sort of like context clues there's things that happen in the movie that like even though i've seen this numerous times i'm like why is this happening what is going on here and as i've said numerous times now like to the uninitiated like like i don't know like maybe robert ben can look this up because i don't have my computer in front of me what was the cinema score for this film because like this like beyond the first 10 minutes there's a lot of plot threads in this movie that like even when it comes to like our gangsters that have rain like tied up like in their giant like semi torture chamber like you kind of don't know what's happening at numerous times in this movie. oh and that truck well, is being uh driven by boy george yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly thank you like, I, I don't mean, know, like, a lot of this, feel, this film feels bizarre at times, like, even beyond just the aesthetic. Like, I agree that you don't know what's happening, but you just have to accept that you're going to learn what's happening, or that they're going to give you more information, because they do. Like, eventually you learn... That there's that... an office room on a truck. Yes, you do learn yes. that. <laughs> that's filled with an aquarium filled with piranhas. Right. Yeah, cinema, so Cinema Score, Zach, that's the, the A to F scale, right? Yes. A minus, according to the internet. Really? Yeah, very surprisingly. Is this from CinemaScore's website or just like an article? From an article I read is where I got it. I'd have to look up the what, actual What was the site? What was the site? What was the site? It was one of the um, retrospective reviews. Someone had quoted it. Go to CinemaScore.com because I don't trust, I don't trust anything <laughs> but the source. Zach's like, I fucking – the person who quoted that is the same one that hit the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> no, because like I can't fathom this film getting an A-. Cinemascore. I know. I was, I was surprised as well. Um Unless the only people who saw this opening weekend were yeah, the people who were like diehard fans. No, there's no way. There's there's no re- – you know how many films get A-pluses? Practically none. I just like – you can count with like like on one hand the amount of movies that have gotten A-plus cinema scores. You think like, I it's can like, count to five? That's, <laughs> that's yeah, when I, when I put Speed Racer 2008 into the cinema score search bar, it pops up with an A-. minus. That's fascinating. That is very fascinating, that- yeah. Because, like, that's one thing, too. Like, even, like, in preparation for this, I went back and looked at a lot of the marketing for this film. And, like, the trailers sell a very different film than what we get. Okay. Like, the trailers play it very, very straight, which is, like, weirdly jarring compared to, like, what you're seeing, like, the visuals. Sure. Like, you'll have – like a lot of it's, like, the Matthew Fox, like, dialogue where it's just, like – it's like, will he survive? And it's like, I don't know, but like, he'll be great if he does. And it's like, like it, it, it plays it weirdly stoically, considering the, the last thing you call this film is stoic. Sure, sure. Uh, I just have to say, the promising young woman has a B plus on Cinema Score. Well, what yeah, because like six, because like six people saw that movie in theaters, including Ben and I. Well, no, the answer is because objectively, Speed Racer is a greater movie. <laughs> That's... I, you know, to be completely honest, promising young woman. Was more enjoyable. That's Whoa, blasphemy. that's a hot take. That's, that's a hot okay. take. Ben Bob. will be muted for the rest of this conversation. I see the cat. I see the The cat lunging in the background right now. <laughs> I I have not 
rewatch Promising Young Woman, so I can't talk about its rewatchability. But uh, but it was better the first time. That's what I would say. What Ben is trying to say, Rob, is that in Promising Young Woman, I'm sorry, in Speed Racer, is that the Chim Chim Monkey wore a nurse costume with a candy, <laughs> like a candy colored wig. It would be an infinitely more enjoyable film. Uh, that is true. It would have been. Do you think Chim in the in the scene before. when they're trying to um, do the switcheroo on the bad guys in the cross country race? That instead of Trixie taking the place in the car, it should have been Chim Chim. <laughs> like we should have seen Chim Chim in a wig driving the car. <laughs> that that would have made more sense. Like one thing that that was one thing that I, I point I, I kind of noticed during that scene. She was he's uh, Trixie says something like, "You said I'm better than most drivers in the WRL anyway," and I was like, "This is the first indication we're getting that this lady even knows how to drive." Like, as an audience member, all we've ever seen her do is be in the stands or in a helicopter. We've never seen her behind the wheel of a car, and all of a sudden, she's a a world-class racer. That, I'll give you that. I I think there is some indication that she is, like, a a mechanic of some sort in the the growing-up scenes. Like, she knows how—she works in the garage, I think, at, at like, one montage scene with the family. Um— I, I definitely remember seeing her in the garage, but I don't, I don't recall her working, so I'd have to... I think, like, it's, I think it's in the montage when they're building the new car, when they're building the Mach 6, which is a great montage, because well, okay, you see so them, then, and she's, like, working on it with them, but I have to mention that, that little montage. The because they built the Mach 6 for the Grand Prix, right? Oh, yes, that's right. That is right. That is right. So that the Mach happen. 6 so, comes and goes. Well, that's the thing. In, in the earlier racing sequences, he's driving the Mach 6, and we have like it, it goes back and forth a lot. I did not notice that. I just wanted to mention in that uh, that that montage when they're they're building the the Mach Six and Ben, you're right. They're leading up to when the up to the Grand Prix. There's just an edit in there of Susan Sarandon making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, <laughs> and that is awesome. <laughs> well, so they, they did, and they did that edit like they show. At the Grand Prix, like that, they're showing like it's kind of cutting back and forth between the building it and the Grand Prix, like stuff happening and getting getting undergoing, and they show like this really elaborate like fruit spread, and then they cut to her making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yes, and I was like, that's fucking dope. Like that was a good transition. <laughs> yeah, I, I like, think look at all this. I think we're getting at something is that that's why it's so like in in terms of the the narrative of this story, some of it is difficult to talk about because it is very much non-linear like like that oh, whole yeah. thing with royalton and royalton's like well well speed racer turns down his deal and royalton explains to speed how the next race is going to go intercut with how the race goes and then when the speech yeah. is over we just cut to the end of the race and we go oh well that that okay that's how it happened then like it is very non-linear so that's I get that's definitely part of my issue for picking up certain where things land in certain parts of the story. Um, but that's also kind of why I love this movie. It's like it's all taking place at a singular point. Like it is it is very much like everything in the movie matters to what came before and after it. Yeah, I mean, the, the nonlinearity I, I thought was I, I found it interesting, um, but especially that the one you're mentioning with Royalton and that race. Like while I was watching the race, I was like, is this are we seeing something that is like they're they're think like this is how speed is imagining what Royalton's telling him? Yep. Or are we seeing the actual race itself and then it switches to to the end of the race and I was like, okay, I guess that was the race. Yeah. yeah. Um so there is a little bit of of the confusion that nonlinearity brings, but I mean I didn't find it too jarring at any point. Oh no, no, I'm definitely along for the ride. It's just kind of like talking about it now in retrospect. I'm like 
wait, hold on, was that then, or was that then, or was that a flashback in a flash forward, you know, that type of stuff. <laughs> so, well, and I mean, the for the whole, I don't know, first, the whole first act at least, we're spending as much time in present as we are in Speed's childhood. Oh my god, is that not? And that was. Is that not the greatest decision storytelling wise of this movie? I feel like any other was, filmmakers would have been like, first act is his childhood, second act is building a car and the Royalton thing, third act is the race. And they're like, fuck it. Like, we're going to put his whole childhood and his like claim to fame moment in the first 10 minutes. Like, I love that idea. Yeah, so the. I, I agree. I, I, I don't think. I don't think it would have played as well as a one flashback we see all of speed's childhood type of thing it was it was much better that they interspersed like certain parts of his childhood with with certain parts of of the present day story yep and i i feel like the the decisions they made there were definitely intentional it wasn't just like they cut up where they had to fit it in like they i feel like they they did a good job interweaving them oh absolutely yeah it's it, i mean it adds to the overwhelming nature of that first scene but once you realize what you're watching and you're on board, you're like, this is great. I'm getting everything I need. Did either of you notice who plays young Trixie in this movie? Yes. Yes. <laughs> is it Mary Beth? Carly Beth, you mean? It's Carly Beth. Okay. <laughs> no. no. That would have been great if, if it was only, Carly if Beth. Only. Young Trixie is played by Ariel Winter, who Ben knows as young Michelle Monaghan from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, when we talked about that. Oh yeah, okay. and Zach knows her as Sophia the First. Sophia the First. Yep. Great, great kids show. Everybody, go check out. If you are any age, go check out Sophia the First, and kill your parents directly afterwards because that is the message of that show. Kill your parents, never listen to them, and it's awesome. <laughs> Zach, have you been keeping up with Sophia the First at all? Oh God, Maximo at Minimus. Max, it was that. Sophia Max... the First is a cartoon? Yes, Ariel Winter is the voice of Sophia. Ben's like, what the hell is this they're even talking about? <laughs> I did Google it, and I was a little bit surprised. It's a great show. Uh, the message of it is your parents are stupid, and you're your own person no matter how old you are. And I love that. Especially if you're four? Yes. Six the, yes. That's the best point of the show. <laughs> Uh, oh, Get your some, rucksack and head out when you're four. <laughs> uh, something else I, I wanted to mention in terms of the you know the overwhelming intro, um, or I don't know the the intro I guess in general. Um, there's a part in the race where where they say something to speed like do you do you know who you're racing against or or you know who you're racing against or something like that. Yep. And it, it's not clear at that point to, to the viewer, but it it becomes clear over time. You know, it, really, just in a couple, a couple seconds or or whatever, that he's racing against his brother's record, mm-hmm. and we get this, we get this uh, video game esque ghost race thing going on, um, which I think is exactly the way that it goes down in like the the Wii U version of Mario Kart. Whenever you're doing like the the time trials, yep, there's yep. a ghost racer that you're that you're racing against, and I and I, I don't know, I've really enjoyed that. Like we got to see. Not only was there the suspense of, of how he's doing against his brother's time, we actually got to see him as if he was racing against his brother, and I thought that was pretty chill. Oh, I love that. Like, yeah, I, absolutely. The ghost thing, I've definitely played with that in time trial of video games, and it was just so cool to see. And 
I think that adds to the the benefit of that opening scene is that he doesn't beat his brother's record. Well, and he doesn't break, beat his brother's record intentionally. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Absolutely. Very, very clearly, he's trying to keep the memory of his brother alive, and and uh, it definitely plays like he knows that if he beats that record of his brother's, his brother dies. Yep. Because after that is when he goes off to race for other people and goes into the corporate machine, as we learn. And I, I guess I guess that's that's what I've been leading up to is I love that message of this movie, the corporate machine. I don't think so. You say he goes into the corporate machine. That that's what is believed to have happened. Oh, but so I don't. Or, I yeah. think we we learned throughout the course of the movie that's not what happened. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But that's what we get the feeling of the racer family is that they yeah. lost that son, or at least, well, one we have to mention that the actual first names of the mother and father are mom and pops. Like, that's not nicknames. That is their actual names. <laughs> well, I mean, Speed Racer's actual name is... is Speed, Speed yeah. <laughs> like, is... their last name is Racer, yeah. and his first name is Speed. Which I absolutely love. But, but yeah, so at that point in the movie, it's like they... Uh, John Goodman, especially Pops, feels like he lost his son to the, the machine. And he even says later in the movie, he didn't die... Or we didn't lose him the day he died. We lost him the day he left. Yes. Or yes. Something ab- like absolutely. Okay. So this this is my this is my big take on the movie and why I absolutely love it. So so I would say maybe forty percent is the visuals, the color, the stylistic choices that the Wachowskis made. It's absolutely fantastic. Sixty percent of why I love this movie is that it is literally an allegory for the concept of art needs to be kept pure and not processed. That is the entire idea, I feel, of this movie. That whole speech from Royalton sums it up perfectly. When Speed Racer is like, I'm going to race on my own. And Royalton says, are you stupid? This thing you've put all your dreams into? It's not made by the people who do it. It's made by the people who have money behind it. Like, we choose who win Grand Prix. We choose who wins certain races. And Speed Racer rejects that. And he has to make his own art his own way. And I've I've read some things where people say, oh, this is the Wachowskis, you know, allegory for the movie industry, that the studios always want their claws in there. I think it's much grander than that. It is about an artist in any form, music, movies, drawing, anything, that has a great success. That's what the first race is. And then they get attention by the big corporations that want to bleed them dry and have their claws in them, and they have to make the decision to sell out or not. And that is what I think the message of this movie is, that Speed Racer decides not to sell out and wins the Grand Prix at the end. And that's why it ties so well into the first race. He knows that his brother's legacy is when he was racing for the racer family and got that time on the Thunderhead course or whatever. And at the end, he chooses to keep... Yeah, he chooses to keep his brother's legacy intact at the beginning, and Speed makes his own legacy at the end by winning the Grand Prix, which should be fixed for all intents and purposes. This movie is literally one of the things I care about so deeply is that art cannot be processed. Art cannot go through a machine. Art is literally the function of the brain to the hands or the mouth or the feet or whatever, whether it be singing, drawing, you know, playing an instrument. And it's about keeping it pure. And I love that idea so goddamn much about this movie. And that's why it resonates so heavily with me. So I definitely, um, I was kind of, I was kind of looking at this through some of the same lenses I was looking through Tron with the whole, you know, I, I went about the, uh, saving your father from the other world and the yeah. way it, that cultures. And I, I was thinking about this movie and it's, it's a, it's, there's like, there are similarities like thematically, uh, in terms of there's this kind of corrupt machine, but there's a difference in the sense 
that Speed was not not aware of the corrupt machine at the beginning, whereas Sam Flynn is aware of the corrupt machine at, sure. at the beginning of, of that story. Um, and so this, this thematically seem, seems to be almost something like um, overcoming a monster type, uh, you know, that archetype. Of oh, like, the, the David know, versus, versus Goliath type of idea. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so, so there's very much, very much a David versus Goliath feel here. Um, and, and we learned that like throughout the movie, we learned that, that Rex was also assaulted by Goliath and that the way he handled it was, was to kind of go disappear. And, um, well, and, and and they say that he like was the dirtiest racer alive or whatever. Yeah. When it, when it seems pretty clear, I think after the fact, or at least that's the way I interpreted it, that Rex became a dirty racer because he was actively attacking the people that were cheating or trying to fix the races. That's, that's at least how I took it. Sure. sure. So, so we definitely get a David versus Goliath feel and Rex, the older brother is not actually able to ever beat Goliath, but speed does. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was kind of, it was kind of weird for me to see what is typically displayed as, you know, typically portrayed as a monster movie. Where in this case, the monster is actually this faceless conglomerate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it does have Royalton as its face, but Royalton is obviously not the only player. So it's like, it's really like the, the order. Um, yeah, the figurehead, of, yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's what you just brought up is another reason that I think it hits it hits so hard for me is that we get kind of the cherry on top at the end of the movie, Speed wins the Grand Prix, you have this whole motif that he has beaten Goliath, you know, he has kept his art pure, and it's done something for the world, and then we get the reveal that Matthew Fox is his brother, X, Racer X is his brother, and he chooses not to tell the family about it. And that's just the, the cherry on top of saying, well, how was Speed able to do this? He was able to be pushed by his family's misery. And I think this the last cherry on top of this movie is great misery creates great art. Or maybe more in this movie, a great motivation is needed to beat Goliath. Okay, I, I see where you're coming from. I definitely took that as... And I, to be completely honest, I, I don't know that I understood the the motivation for his decision and and that does give it some some kind of context that i i think i like better than the few thoughts i had about it which one of the thoughts i had about it was that he was to some degree he was he was accepting punishment for having put his family through that okay um, okay which i i do think there there's an element of that there but i like i like what you said maybe a little more that he acknowledged that it took that misery for speed to become great and probably also knew that like if he came back, it wasn't just gonna be normal. Like you, you don't just come back from the dead and everything goes back to normal. Yep. Like they have this whole family unit, and he would be, in some ways, destroying them again by revealing that he never died. Yep, yep. And and so I, I kind of think, and like the, the and not to mention what that would do to his parents and, and Speed in terms of like they lived the, their whole lives almost at this point, or or rather I should say, the last chapter of their lives, the the, the this chapter that they're currently living, they've lived it under false pretenses and that could really destroy their entire worldview. Oh yeah. So yeah. Um, like there's, there's a certain amount of kindness in his decision uh, to, to not reveal, which, which maybe, uh, you know, on the surface seems like not a kind decision to not reveal to them. But, but I really think it probably is the kind decision. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also think going back with what we said earlier, if if the end of this movie 
landed on, you know, Speed and his family accept the trophy, and they're all celebrating, and Speed kisses Trixie, and Chim Chim and Sprite will say, this is when you're going to get cooties or whatever, you know, that whole thing. If it ended with Matthew Fox going, hey guys, it's me, that would have been ironic. That would have been a goofy ending, you know? That would have been something that takes away from the purity of this movie, from the sincerity of this movie. Unless they did it very dark and cry-filled, because that could happen. Uh, yeah, I don't, uh, that would have been a very interesting switch of tone at the well, end of the movie, I mean, but I see what you're the, saying. Because there, there would have been, like, the whole aspect of, like, well, for one, why should we believe you? Mm-hmm. You know, so there would have been that, but then for two, it's just like, this is such a shock to them. It, it should overwhelm them, not make them happy. Like Yes, yes. And, um, and I don't know. I guess I say that just... they shouldn't eventually be happy, but but they would. They would yeah, be I, I think I'm I'm thinking of like at the end of this movie, if that happened, I'm thinking of since it didn't happen, we know we're only speculating, but I'm thinking of it would have been done in a stupider way, and it basically would have been like the end of Mrs. Doubtfire, where mm-hmm. Robin Williams is like, "It was me, ha ha," and Matthew Fox would rip off a mask, and it'd be fucking Scott Porter again from the beginning of the movie with the blonde hair, and they'd all be like, "Oh my god." we love you and it's just like no we don't need any of that and the Wachowskis know that yeah Uh, so one thing about that is like I assume that they were going for it being clear the entire time that Racer X was Rex Racer I'm actually glad you bring that up because when we talked about our context before and I said I really didn't know much about Speed Racer through cultural osmosis before seeing this movie even the first time I did know that Racer X was his brother I I didn't know okay. from from any kind of spoiler, but it was very obvious. Okay, okay. not painfully obvious, but very obvious. And um, like the scene where where he reveals himself to not be uh, to not be the brother, I actually right before that I was like, it's been so incredibly painfully obvious that I'm the brother yeah. the whole time. Yeah. I'm actually going to reveal that I'm not the brother now and make you feel stupid. And. Uh, and then he reveals that he's not the brother, and I was like, "Oh God, I didn't actually think that was going to happen." <laughs> and and then later we we find out that he indeed was the brother. And so I, I don't know. Like, it was interesting. It was it was well done. Uh, I, I appreciated it, uh, but it was very strange sure. because there was no doubt in my mind until until they told me that he wasn't the brother, and I was like, uh, "Oh, ma- yeah." Oh, that wait. that scene has always thrown me for a loop as well. I'm trying to think of other examples where movies come out that are based on pre-existing properties that, by cultural osmosis, you know a big twist in it. Mm. Nothing's coming to mind, but that I just wanted to make some comparison because I definitely knew that Racer X was his brother. Just from knowing the the very little I did about Speed Racer, I mean, and that makes sense. And if I, I'm sure if I knew anything about it, I would have known that too. But I, 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 I guess maybe not because Zach's going to yell at me for this. But maybe if you grow up in the '90s and 2000s and you see the Star Wars movies, you know that Darth Vader <laughs> is Luke's father. Like you oh, can't definitely. not know that. That's the next example that comes to mind. One one hundred percent. That would be. Everybody knows, like every people yeah. who've not seen Darth Vader, or the people who've never seen Star Wars, never even heard of Star Wars, know that Darth Vader's Luke's yeah, father. Yeah, those yeah. people are. I think Zach's back from uh, from uh, reporting us to PETA. Zach, what do you think about my take <laughs> on this movie? The, the theme of this movie, the message, I should say. Well, but what the the <clears throat> what the art shouldn't be tampered with by the machine? Yeah, yeah. Or, it's, it's, there's it's a pure, lot discussed these last fifteen minutes. Pure art versus processed art. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, it's weird because I, when this, as I was watching this, obviously you can't ignore the themes of royalty 
and how just kind of like over the top he is about like how everything is contrived naivete things like that um i obviously you can't help but see the journey of the wachowskis as filmmakers and correlating it to speed racers journey like oh like straight out of the gate they have a wild success that gets everybody's attention yeah the matrix the studios get their claws in them and they yeah want to have, and then they like, want to be a part of everything yeah. they do yeah yeah um i like obviously that's the easiest interpretation i do think after the after V for Vendetta, there's another angle to this movie in that like, oh, that like kind of like the machine, not just the machine, but just the idea that like corporate interests control everything in the world. Mm-hmm. Not just and obviously in the context of Speed Racer, the world is racing. They're synonymous terms. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. That's the weird thing about the Wachowskis is that like I think they're trying to be very, very basic with the themes of this movie, especially like at the very end where you get the the, the what the magazine cover of royalty and like the very overly comical like pin uh, was it the prison stripes. It has the little tagline that like judge says uh, cheaters never prosper. Yeah. And there, I think um, there's another magazine cover where it says something like stock drops to zero or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, it's super, super idealized. But at the same time, though, I think they're what they want us to glean from it as the audience is that it may, I, I think there's multiple layers, but I think at the end of the day is that like the corporate interest control everything not just the film industry but everything and until that world is dismantled nothing will ever be able to succeed which i i I have a hard time agreeing with for many reasons but the thing being like well you like and i get it by the time speed racer came out we didn't know what was gonna happen with cloud atlas and um jupiter ascending but it's like you made two matrix movies especially revolutions that nobody really particularly liked Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you still got a blank check with this movie. Um, like, again, like I find that fascinating. Like they get like, again, not to delve too far into the Wachowski's history, but like you have their first film, which was successful, but nobody remembers it. You have the matrix, which is a cultural phenomenon. And then you have like matrix reloaded, which made a ton of money, but nobody particularly liked. Then you had revolutions, which nobody liked and didn't and made like half as much money as reloaded did. And it's like, oh, and then your next movie is, oh, the corporate hierarchy is evil. And it's like, yeah. well, if the corporate hierarchy was evil, you wouldn't be making this movie right now. No, they that, wouldn't have given you. That's actually a good point. I'm glad you bring that up because I, when I rewatched this, it, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't think it was as long, but the last time I saw Speed Racer was maybe three, four years ago. Um, but I had definitely watched a lot of Wachowski movies since then. And the thing that always gets me is, you know, from the Matrix movies to Cloud Atlas to what I've heard about Jupiter Ascending and Bound, all of those movies are about, you know, finding your true self. They're they're about, you know, finding who you are as a person. Hell, even that – what they did, that Netflix show, um, Sense8. Sense8. And that's all about, you know, like people coming together to find who they truly are, you know. And, and of course, as we know, the Wachowskis – uh, this movie, of course, is the last film they're ever credited as the Wachowski brothers. They have since transitioned, and it makes sense that a lot of their movies are about finding the body you belong in, and that's what the Matrix movies are. That's what Cloud Atlas is, or at least about the reincarnation of bodies through time. I've, from what I've heard, that's what Bound and Jupiter Ascending are about, reincarnation and that same idea. 
this is the only movie that doesn't fit that bill. This movie is about the corporate hierarchy, the corporate giant. And I find that immensely fascinating. And I think maybe this would be better saved when we actually finally get to a Wachowski series because even though Zach was pushing for Cloud Atlas in this series and I said, no, we will do Cloud Atlas one day (laughs) because that movie is so goddamn good and incredibly underrated and the perfect three-hour movie as far as I'm concerned. It's the only movie that warrants that length other than the Watchmen Ultimate Cut. Um, let's, let's put it this way. If that Cloud Atlas was something that could be snorted, Rob would have snorted it a long time ago. <laughs> Rob is high on Cloud Atlas. Uh, when I, he, I, he I bought it. the book, I read it. The movie came out. It's the only movie I ever saw at midnight, period, in my life. And not like a late night showing, like a true midnight showing. After that, I bought another copy of the book, ground it up, and snorted it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's never been the same since. So I really want to see Jupiter Ascending because you've talked it up or you've not talked it up maybe, but you've made it clear that I need to see it in terms of the Wachowski's filmography. I really want to see Bound too. Apparently Bound is that same thing on a much smaller scale. Uh, I guess maybe uh, I was told that there's a lesbian sex scene in Bound. Yeah, who, I'm who pretty don't sure, like, yeah. Who don't like that? <laughs> no, but I, I'm I'm very fascinated by the Wachowskis, but I find it so difficult to talk about them without focusing so much on the Matrix trilogy. And as I've told Zach before, if we ever do the Wachowski series, I would want to do the Animatrix as well, even though that's not technically them. But hey, Cloud Atlas isn't technically them. You got uh, Tickfer direct most Two of that movie. Two thirds of Cloud Atlas is them. No, it's like one third. Is it? Yeah, Tickfer did more than they did on directing wise on Cloud Atlas. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. I always thought like they split into thirds. If only. If only. So what? I guess whenever Matrix 4 gets announced, we'll do a series to lead up. So we announced? Matrix 4 you end. mean when that gets... That's supposed to be a coming release out this date, year. A release that's date, supposed I mean. to, That's supposed to be coming out this know, year, You man. know what like, I mean. When they announce a release date, you know what I mean, Zach, okay? It better come out this year. God. I want to see... Oh, my God. That movie's going to be insane. But which one of them is doing it? Is is it Lana? It's just Lana. Yeah, it's Lana only from what we've heard so far. Yep. Okay. Oh, man, that's going to be a trip. First new Wachowski movie in almost a decade. Oh, oh it's going to uh, be insane. I mean, hey, that's there. You can't. Bonkers. Yeah, you can't make movies Bonkers. as great as The Matrix, The Matrix Reloaded, Speed Racer, Racer. <laughs> and Cloud Atlas and not get me to watch them again. <laughs> watch oh their God, next movie, it's... I mean. Well, OK, this is a thing that like it's it, I can't take credit for this because obviously Rob's going to hate me for saying this. I oh, listened no. to the blank check episode oh, no. in preparation okay. for this. Uh, the, the podcast has come to a Rob solo podcast because I've muted Ben already. <laughs> I'm muting Zach now for mentioning black, black, black check, blank check, blank okay. check. But no, like, this wasn't the thing they focused on. It was said by like whoever guest was on the episode in like when it comes to like the Wachowskis and filmmaking. And somebody kind of said this. They didn't say this explicitly, but is are the Wachowskis' career in cinema as if Alejandro Jordanowski was successful? <laughs> or not successful, but mainstream successful? No. Like, right? No. Like, Speed Racer seems like a, this movie seems like a movie that Alejandro Jordanowski could have made. Could've. I don't know if I. This I don't know. feels like the this feels That's like the closest thing you would think about it. What the uh, 2008 Speed Racer is to the original anime feels like what Alejandro Jodorowsky's treatment of Dune feels like to the source material. Well, we can't just focus on Dune because that was something that's adapted. I know we we can make that comparison with Speed Racer, but we you can't disregard like what Hol- Holy Mountain, right? 
and stuff no, like no, no. that. I, I know, but just it feels like that same level of just like I'm gonna take the source material and just bend it and warp it to like it's to like a point where you can barely recognize. I don't know. I don't know. I might need to think about that more. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I th- I think that is a clever, provocative idea. It's a pr- it's a provocative it's right. statement. Notion. No, yes, yes, notion. <laughs> yes, it's a provocative notion. Let's leave it at that. Oh man, that that's an interesting one. It's great. It's great whenever we talk about these things, and Ben's like, I don't know who this is. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we love you, Ben. That's why we love you. You have an unfettered take on things that Zach and I have been mulling over for way too fucking years. long, for as ye- far as I'm for concerned. Years. <laughs> But like that's the thing. okay. But like the thing about Speed Racer that like I I think is the most interesting, in that like you have all these elements in the film. You have all the stuff that like it's it's oh god they they adapted the English dub of a Japanese anime from the seventies. Yeah, they ad- they adapted an adaptation. Yes. Yes, and on top of that, they even how it's edited is very jarring at times. Like it the like the. Its uniqueness works against it numerous times throughout the course of the film. Yep. Like I know you highlighted the scene where obviously we have royalty going like on his like soapbox about how like everything is rigged, like like how he's beyond nihilistic, and you have that intercut with Chim Chim and Spridal with Freebird as they like drive a go kart. I am so glad that you pointed out it was Freebird. But like, but no, let me finish my point. Though they had to spend that, so much money for ten seconds of Freebird. <laughs> I, I I know, and like you have that, and it completely robs the dramatic essence of the Royalton monologue. No, not at all. No, yes, it does. It's intentional. It's intentional, but it robs it of its dramatic essence. And that's the thing is that like, there's editing in this film. Like, it, you know what this film reminded me of after a while. It reminded me of my complaints with Hack Snyder's Watchmen, where it's so faithful to what it is that they're doing. It almost at the end of the day, it works against the movie as a whole. Like I like again, it's like I respect the Wachowskis. I respect that the fact that like they've been able outside the fact that they've what made what four, five, seven movies and only like two of them have been genuinely successful. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, like they're able to keep just making be- like movies that just keep bomb. Think about it. They made three consecutive bombs and yet they, and, and it's only after those three films, Speed Racer, Clad Atlas and Jupiter Ascending that they had to go back to the Matrix franchise in order to kind of like lick their wounds. And yet like, I, I find that fascinating that like they made Speed Racer and could have like not even made a more conducive film. They could have edited the film to be more conducive, and yet they chose not to. And yet the studio let them do that. Like very easily, the studio could have stepped in and been like, "Like, why are you robbing the Royalton monologue, which is really good? It's really dramatic and it's genuinely intimidating." In that moment, you have Spritel and Chim Chim. Like on their like joyride with Freebird, it drains the energy. At, it, it takes the momentum out of the royalty monologue, and I'm like, oh god, like this felt so good. And you can, and I get it. It's done on purpose. It's not like they did this by accident. It just feels like you're robbing the film of its overall cohesive nature just to be faithful to whatever sort of thing that you're doing. It goes back to like one of my favorite sayings. I know this is not the first time I've said this, but a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of a small mind. 
it's like, oh, we're just doing it for the sake of doing it after a while. Even like, like I don't know. Like I, there's and there's numerous times in this movie where that happens, and I'm just like, oh, you're just doing something because you want to do it as opposed to it making sense. I do not agree at all. I don't think that that. Am I right? Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. If, okay, is this you're right that it's intentional. Do you disagree with my premise, or is this one of those times where like, you agree with my premise, but you hate that I'm right? No, I disagree that it robs the Royalton speech of its dramatic essence, because I think the where they cut it, it's almost two different speeches. Like, we have a, a two different dramatic enticements or, or motifs in those two parts of Royalton's speech. That one, one is the creation of, in Speed's mind— Royalton telling him that this is all a, a rigged game. And then the second half of the speech is the the exemplar of why it's rigged. Because that's when he starts talking about how the 41 Grand Prix, it didn't matter if Ben, Birds or ben Burns or Stickleton won. It mattered that this fuel cell burned out on the second lap so we could change stock prices. I think there are two very distinct things. But and that's that the cut thing, though, adds like, to but, that dramaticism of it. But I think that's the thing I find so jarring, though, is that like— this film, like it was rated PG, which means they wanted like the broadest, the, the broadest audience possible. And you go from having this really, really intense, like to the point where even I, I don't want to say I was having a hard time following it, but I was really kind of like on the edge of my seat, like trying to really make sure I picked up on like everything that Royalton is saying in that moment, because it is like in like deep in the weeds, like oh, business sure. level talk. Bus- yeah, and it's, you, it's basically. And you cut, it, as Ben knows, it basically becomes like the end of trading places on the stock market floor. Like it gets so deep into into stock prices. But no, Zach, I even think that. But then you, but but like, but it's the thing though. But like, you cut that, and you like weirdly then cut that sequence with like slapstick. It's not no, but this is this is where I'm disagreeing with you. The slapstick is intentional. I think the choice it of is free intentional. Bur- I, yeah, I but that's no, hold I mean, on. It's intentional, the, the in- but I disagree with the choice. The intentionality is even in the use of the term freebird. Speed Racer, the pure artist, is for the first time being told that his art doesn't matter. What he chooses to do with his art doesn't matter. He's being told that this world he lives in is controlled by the corporate machine. And at the first instance of this, we know that Speed Racer is not going to waver from his love of his racing because it cuts to the goofiness of his younger family members, if you want to call them that, singing Freebird. What's one of the lines they play is this bird will not change. It's reflecting I, Speed Racer's ideals I, in I, the moment. I don't, dis- I don't disagree with the sentiment that you're getting from that. I disagree with the execution of it. There's the a way of doing that that doesn't rob the Royalton thing of its momentum. It doesn't, it doesn't, we don't need Royalton to have momentum. In terms of performance, yes, we might but want that momentum, but, but Royalton's but can, the villain. You want to break I his momentum. Know, no, you don't, because it's the movie that matters. You're robbing the movie of its inertia. Speed Racer matters. His love whiplash. is what matters. And the, the whiplash is important. It's a movie about racing. It should be whiplash. <laughs> Except for the fact that the I, movie only makes $44 million God, domestic. Well, because people Rob. are stupid and they want to see Iron Man, but that's beside the point. Yes, I agree. It is but at the same perfect. Time- that edit is perfect. No, I disagree. Oh, I disagree God. that you can, you can have an edit in there, though, but how they did it was, was the wrong move to make, in my humble opinion. Oh, Jesus Christ. Ben, we just saw Ben <laughs> live on air get arrested by PETA. This podcast is crumbling as we're discussing it. <laughs> the cat uh, I, called 911 on Ben. I disagree with Zach. 
about this. Yes! <laughs> I didn't think... So for the audience, so, so you know, I was sitting there quietly um, because I was muted eating a sandwich. Um, <laughs> but I, but I was thinking about what they were saying. Uh, I, I definitely disagree with you, Zach. I didn't feel that his speech was hindered by this. Uh, I guess my attention span was long enough that I knew that that was still happening while I was seeing the I chimps. don't think it's anything to do with attention span. No, I, I, that, comes... that was an intentional dig. I'm just fucking with you, but I really didn't <laughs> think that it... But uh, no, really but like, no, but you have, a, you have a point, though, with that comment. Because, like, think of all the dummies that went to go see this opening weekend and poisoned the well on this movie. Who, but who I, I think that's... I did. I did. I have a ticket. I have a ticket stub that proves it. He did mention the uh, the cousin earlier. People who go see movies. Just exactly. I'm trying to think, Rob. Like, what's like? What are the rarest ticket stubs I have? Like, Speed Racer opening weekend, MacGruber opening weekend. I'm trying (laughs) to MacGruber anytime we saw it. Doesn't the rarity of a ticket stub actually indicate like a lower value of that ticket stub? Like, is it wasn't a rarity? Yes, yes, you're not wrong. Okay, all right. This is a very interesting market we're diving into right here. (laughs) That yes, yes, you're you're a hundred percent right, Ben. But but your point is being like rare, as in like there's not many of them. Like just simply by supply, like the amount of like Speed Racer opening weekend ticket stubs is probably very minuscule because (laughs) there's probably only a handful of them in existence. I'm just curious, like whether. The idea of seeing a movie like that opening weekend, it's like what, MacGruber? Um, I'm trying to think. I can't think of another movie that like we saw opening weekend, Rob, that like nobody else would have seen. Oh, God. No, while you think of that, I have to say, I, I see where you're coming from, Zach, with this, but I I don't know. I couldn't. I, it, it didn't I feel it. so, so tightly connected to that scene and those edits and when they happen that I, I don't think it loses anything. I think that it makes the movie. But don't, don't you it. have to admit, admit that, like, there is a... Like, you go from this super serious moment by the villain doing his mustache-twirling plot, and then you juxtapose that to a monkey and a kid on a joyride. Well, well, maybe Wasn't there like, similarities between the scores of those scenes, though? Like, it, I didn't feel like the scene ended because of the cut. I feel like... I felt like they were like happening simultaneously, and that's what they were trying to they, tell. They me. are happening simultaneously, though. But like, you could very easily take out that scene, and the and I get what Rob's getting at, like Free Bird, blah 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 blah. I get that. I, I'm but, fine. Well, I I, but, like, I think I, have I to think say, if you take that scene out, it would do nothing but improve the movie. I think I, I have think issue with you saying anything. that it's the super serious mustache mustache twirling villain scene. I think we're so in so steeped in the goofiness and whimsicality of this movie at this point, that to have an extended, unbroken villain monologue would be tonally whiplash. We need that, that cut to keep that going. But that cut took me out of the movie. Well, I, you know, Zach, you're allowed to be wrong about stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's so, great, Ben. hey <laughs> You're allowed to be wrong about things. <laughs> I love that. No, I, the, the, I think this is this is like this is why I love when we have these episodes where where we get really into some of this stuff with the arguments. This is private parts all over. Again. This, is this is private is parts. I'm glad. I was trying to think of when's the, the last time Zach and I yelled at each other on mic, and it probably was private parts. But no, there is there's there's it's I think that might be the not to end this debate or anything, but this is the sign of a good movie, you know. 
I think I, at I least. Like, Ben and I, I, I talked I, about Beverly Hills Cop, <laughs> and we were like, this movie sucks. Yeah, why does it suck? Here's the reasons why. That's it. This movie's like, well, this movie's great, but let's debate the finest of fine details behind it. <laughs> so but like, I, I definitely have to disagree with Zach's assertion that it would make the movie better by removing that. Like, I... To take it even a step further than just, like, Speed's particular nature of being a freebird, like, it is strictly a juxtaposition that that makes it obvious how bad the villain actually is. It's like, the villain starts out presumably not all that bad. Like, he interacts with Speed's family, he's nice to them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then, yeah, like, we get this, like, kind of turn for him. Where he where he shifts to being this like you're a fucking dumbass speed kind of guy, mm-hmm. and and while that's happening, we get the juxtaposition with with the spritel and chim chim scene that takes us back to who that guy was claiming to be to begin with. So like we are we are being shown who he is and who he pretended to be, at the same time as being told that that speed is a free bird. Like I, I think all of that combined I... makes. But again, I don't argue that you can't have a. I'm not saying that you can't have a sequence in there of this whole Freebird song, which you guys are really hung up on. Like, if you I, want that in there, that's fine. There's a better way of doing it, though. That doesn't rob the other sequence of its essence. Zach, like, this, whenever you like, I don't have make that cut and I watch it. I will let you know if it was better. Or not. <laughs> I have no pro. I have no problem with the Chim Chim Spritel like like trench coat scene. I have no problem with that. That works for me because that play that pays off later on in the film. Yes. And it's not as over the top. Like that I have no problem with. I don't mind the cut. The cut is not the issue. The the deep meaning that you two are pulling from that scene, which I didn't notice, but now that you brought to my attention, again, I have no problem with it. I just think the overly goofy nature of it just takes me out of what else is happening and considering that i think rob knows that when it come when it came to the two of us on this podcast i was the one that was able to see like oh i get why mainstream audiences didn't like this and why this just didn't click because this just wasn't simply a box office bomb it was also a critical bomb at the time yeah yeah which we mentioned some earlier of but no i see what you're saying zach and i uh i think i uh i get I it i agree I, with I, ben I you're allowed my, to be I, <laughs> I, I, just like Zach, honest, you're allowed I, to be wrong about private parts. Hold on, let me pull up the spreadsheet and say every movie <laughs> Zach's allowed to be wrong about. <laughs> so, Total Recall not being a cinematic. Yes, yes. Like, I definitely agree with you that I can see why this movie was not a mainstream success. But I think this movie failed to be a mainstream success because the mainstream wasn't ready for an anime live action. Yes. But I don't think that's true, though, because, like, The Matrix made money. Matrix Reloaded made money. But no, like, that I, was not anime esque. It was may have had like action on it, <laughs> in it, but it was not. It was not shot like an anime. It was just had anime like. But that's the thing, though. Like, go look at the marketing, though. Like the market, like the marketing clearly. Like that's the thing. The marketing did not feel bizarre. Like in all honesty, the marketing for Speed Racer well, is not that different than how modern superhero movies are marketed, and, and the that, fact that the marketing was mistake. able to connect. What? Of marketing. That might have just been a mistake of marketing. Like it sounds, they should have marketed this movie as what it was. But that's the thing, though. If yeah. you, oh God, can you imagine if they marketed it the way with the way this movie was? It would have done even worse somehow. I don't know. That, I, think, I mean, that's that. I will be honest. Which there's a reason just... why we never. There's a reason why we have never gotten that live action Akira movie. And you know the reason why? Two words: speed and racer. <laughs> that is why we're never getting live action Akira. And you know why too? Because Warner Brothers has the live action rights to that movie. Oh my and god! Every real single quick, time that fil- I want Brandon Cronenberg to direct the live action Akira. 
uh, I, would ha- I would have nothing against that. that would I would but no, I would be this, is, this is the one thing that's come up on this podcast before, and I don't. I honestly don't think it's come up while Ben's been here. If it did come up, it was when. Uh, I'm not saying this to be jokingly because it, I actually did bring it up when Ben, Justin, and I discussed Southland Tales. Marketing does have a large impact on box office. And that's the thing I know zero about. I don't watch trailers today. I don't watch trailers back in the day. I forget trailers as I see them in theaters. Like, they go in one ear and out the other. So Zach is definitely the expert here on that concept. And that is totally true. I don't know about the marketing versus the Matrix versus Speed Racer about anything else, and that definitely plays a role, which you have to acknowledge. My stance is is that it very well could have made it done do worse, but it also like the honesty and and the sincerity that is in the movie. If they could have got that through in the commercial in the trailers, I don't know, maybe we would have had a different outcome. Well, like, was that, people... what were the trailers like? Were they car action? There was, there were well, of course, but like it. <sighs> Like I said, the trailers felt very like it's weird that like in all honesty, it's like the marketing. I don't want to say it was ahead of its time because it's not ahead of its time. It's just a matter of just selling something. Yeah, it's like you could very easily imagine this being a trailer for like a Spider-Man movie based on because it's a lot of Racer X. It's funny. There's more of Racer X probably in the marketing than there is in the movie itself. Like, it's a lot of him. Like, you see him without the mask on numerous times. Like, you see him at the oh. end. You see him, like, when he's confront not confronting, but, like, he's talking to Speed after, what, the, co- the Casa Cristo. Like, there's a lot of that. And he basically, like, all of his dialogue is voiceover for the trailers. And it's, like, it, it weirdly feels like the Man of Steel trailers where it's, like, he's going to be better than them. He's going to be the best. And it's done, like, in a weird, like, solemn way. Like, it's very toned down. Like, the trailers play this is very more matter-of-fact relative to the final product. Well, well, and I think I, that's why when you go have those moments in the film where you rob the dramatic moments of their through line of tension, that's where you alienate the casual moviegoer. Not saying that's right or wrong. Sure, I'm just sure. saying I get why, why – like, that's why I found the cinema score so baffling is that, like, I can't imagine this film getting – Anything higher than a B. Well, I that, can just cannot wrap my head I, around I that. agree with you there. But I, I, when you mentioned that about the trailer, something like I said I didn't know, that uh, the, the, in, the decision to put Racer X, played by Matthew Fox, in a 2008 trailer had to be trying to ride the Lost Yes, train. Lost. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, had I get to be. that. But that's the thing, though, is that like, I get you're trying to ride the Lost thing fine but then there's other stuff they could have done to convey the tone better like this gets to what ben's point was is like maybe if you sold this film as to what was actually in the movie which warner brothers is infamously known for cutting trailers for movies that are better than the final product suicide (laughs) squad being the grand example of that to the point where like they cut a trailer so good for that film they said, oh, crap, the final film does not reflect the marketing. We should have the trailer house do a cut of the film, then release that cut in the theaters. Like, that's the issue, is that, like, like it even goes to, like, like, and that was a thing, too, that, like, Speed Racer had different, like, marketing in that, like, it was a PG film. They tried marketing it, like, on Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon, and even that clearly didn't work. Mm. And I think that's the thing is that, like, the, they didn't know how to, like, the marketing team didn't know how to sell this film. Because even I wouldn't know how to sell this film. 
like, like if somebody gave me not and think about it, think about how marketing works. You're not given the final product. You're given bits and yeah. pieces of it. Exactly. And you're told like, okay, sell this. So like you get the largest audience possible. And like I wouldn't know how to do this. Like I would be pulling my hair out, being like, Jesus Christ, like, like who do we sell this movie to? And they tried. They tried to sell it to everybody. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they had they were sandwiched between Iron Man and, and Indiana Jones. Yeah. And there's no you have weirdly nostalgia going back 20 plus years, and you have the tidal wave that was going to be the future of cinema for the next 15 years. And that and that's the like and that's where it was like it was it was the as weird as this may say it was the Kobayashi Maru of <laughs> of of marketing of films there was no winning it was just salvaging the best you could do yeah and to I make think, the marketing successful you would have had to cheat yep <laughs> exactly and I think that's where the I think that's why the Wachowskis were given the mulligan with Cloud Atlas it was like okay. They were put between a rock and a hard place. There was no winning this, so let's just give them a do-over. And then Cloud yeah. Atlas happens, and it's like, okay. And it's like, one of the best movies of all time and makes $10 billion outgrosses Avengers Endgame, as we know. We can, yeah, yeah, I know what universe <laughs> you're living in. But, like, that's the thing, though, is that, like, like, like uh, Speed Racer is just, like, like, again, clearly, like, this film was overly marketed. Like, I remember... I remember the the toys. I remember the giant like Rob can tell you in the gallery in Poughkeepsie. Like I can still remember like the giant like Speed Racer poster like yep. all over the little like uh, what would you call Rob? Those things that, like they had like the illuminated like things for like marketing in, in the mall shopping malls sure, back in the sure. day. Marquees. Like I re- yes and no like <clears throat> not outside the movie theater but oh, like okay. like throughout the mall. Like it's not it's nothing rare. It's like back in the day you would see those anywhere. Um, but like, McDonald's, I, that. Like, I think was yes. McDonald's where had if you're a girl, yeah, you get the Trixie toy. If you're a boy, you get the Speed Racer toy. Yeah. Yes. And that was the thing. Like, I remember like all the stuff for this movie. Like they, they put their market. Like this was going to be Warner Brothers big marketing push for the month of May. Mm-hmm. And like, Jeez, I they, remember in the Galleria KB when KB toys was still around. Oh uh, yeah. They had Speed Racer action figures out the asshole oh, at the God. front of the store. You know what makes me <laughs> mad? Like one of the like toys they had for this was like a Speed Racer helmet. And I so wish I would have bought that. <laughs> Just driving around wearing the Speed Racer See, helmet. See, Zach, if oh, you God. had that, you would you would Half I'll the time right say now. it's a speed racer helmet, and half the other time say it's a Daft Punk helmet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Why isn't there like a motorcycle like like registered helmet that's the Daft Punk helmets? Like, why isn't that a thing? They've made a Master Chief helmet that is like motorcycle legal to wear. Like, there should be <laughs> Daft Punk helmets. That's a good point. I guess I gotta ask you, Zach. How many toys do you have for Speed Racer? We're coming Zero. hot off last week. With well, you okay, showing except, us Tron toys nonstop. Where's I, your Speed Racer toys? Outside, outside of the Speed Racer video game, nothing. Man, I would get a trick, a little trick, a little Christina Ricci doll. They bef- made before dolls. she went like figures. full-on anorexia. <laughs> okay, okay. A sidebar: Christina Ricci is incredible. She only keeps getting better with age. Oh, Christina Ricci's great. I've I've loved Christina Ricci her whole career. You know, she starts as Wednesday Adams. In uh, the Sonnenfeld uh, Adams Family movies, and then she's in this. She's in a few other things I'm not remembering. Bucky Larson. But okay, I never saw Bucky Larson, <laughs> the Nick Swartzen movie. Never saw that one. Um, but yeah, I remember like when when she did her whole press tour where she's like, I was almost dead because I was that anorexic, and I'm like, that's a bummer. You're a really great actress. 
I love Christina Ricci. Yeah, she's awesome. She's great as Trixie in this movie. I can't imagine anybody else playing Trixie. I know that they wanted to cash, uh, cast Alicia Cuthbert, who was the porn star from The Girl Next Door, and I'm like, what? Like, get out of here. I could, I could see that. Not saying it would be correct, but I could see that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's perfect. I think Christina Ricci's perfect in this movie, and uh, we should have more of her for sure. Yes, I do not disagree. Rob, go watch her. Bucky Larson. Go watch. I have go, no desire. Ben, have you seen Bucky Larson? Born to be a star. It does sound dumb. It sounds very dumb. What is? It's a it's a Nick Swardson starring movie, probably it's, written it's by Adam Sandler. Written by Adam Sandler oh. and Nick, Nick Swardson and Alan Covert, whoever that is. I have never gotten into Nick Swardson. Like Nick Swardson's best role is as I think his name is Terry in Reno Nine One One. And he's like a gay prostitute. And there's a great cold open in an episode of Reno 911 where the cops approach him. And they're like, Terry, we saw you like putting up signs again for your prostitution business or like scratching them in, in like public bathroom stall doors. And Nick Swartzen goes, well, what did the sign say? And it said, you know, contact Terry at blah, blah, blah for a good time. And Nick Swartzen goes, how do they spell Terry? T-E-R-R-I. Ah, and Nick Swartzen responses, ah, you see, my name's spelt with eight R's, so it's not me. <laughs> That's the funniest thing Nick Swartzen has ever done and will ever do. I, I hate him in, what, Blades of Glory as the, as the fan of John Heater. He's terrible. I don't think I've ever seen anything I like him in except that one episode of Reno 911. I, I, Welcome, you know Nick what? Swartzen Modities. <laughs> Nick Swartzen Vember. Oh, God. Oh, God. So, so I think one of the things I want to talk about, which we've been dancing around. Well, we did just talk about Christina Ricci. She's great in this movie. I love um, when her, her hearts, her eyes turn into hearts in the young scene when they fall in love with each other. That's great. Well, John, well, this is the thing. I'm glad you bring it up, Zach. This is what I wanted to ask. Best performance in this movie, in my eyes, is tied between John, Good John Goodman and Roger Allum, who plays Royalton. I love them both equally, I think. For the good guy and the bad guy, I guess. John Goodman's great in everything. That's the problem. Well, yeah, I think it's like I, it's, it's hard. It's hard to yeah. rate his performances. Yeah, John Goodman is just a fantastic actor. I mean, even he's the best part of Evan Almighty. He's the bad senator. He's the villain in Evan Almighty. Oh That's yeah, I forgot the only about good that. thing about that movie. I mean, what he looks insane in. Um, Flight. I've never seen Flight, but I've seen pictures of him on set of Flight. He has he's, like this he's, weird he's grimy good ponytail. He's good. It's a it's a very minor role, but he's really good. In but it. I mean, what the other uh, his maybe his best performance ever is Ten Cloverfield Lane. Like he's so oh, good in that movie. He's perfect in that movie. Red State. Oh, that's right. Ben loves Red State with John Goodman. We've talked about that a lot. I still have not I never seen knew that movie. Ever saw that. I didn't know anyone ever saw that movie. Never mind, actually liked it. <laughs> well, Zach, you have to remember, Ben is a Kevin Smith fan. I am. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all right, Ben. It's okay to be wrong. Uh, Dogma is great, and you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Early Kevin Smith is great. Like everything after like two thousand. Whoa, like two, whoa, whoa! Two thousand one. I'm a, I'm a chasing Amy denier, which I know Ben and I uh, disagree on. Do not like that movie. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to tell me you denied chasing Amy. Like I you just didn't. I, I didn't chase her. 
So I think I love John Goodman, but I also love Roger Allen in this movie as the villain. Like in that whole scene we were debating about before, Zach, like he he crushes it, you know? Well, well, yeah, like Roger Allen's great, but like oh, he's he's another one who's kind of like he's a solid. Ca- That's the thing about this movie. We got to give the Wachowskis credit is that like they cast literally an entire ensemble of character actors. Yes. Yes. Roger Allen is also in uh, V for Vendetta. As of the, course, um, he he gives yeah. Of as course. the uh, he, news uh, anchor, yeah, yeah. Yes, he tries to stop Natalie Portman, and he is so good in his death scene when he is watching himself on the news from earlier in the night in the shower, and he's reciting his like news broadcast word for word while watching it while he's in the shower, and then gets killed. Oh, that shit is great. Louis Prothero, I believe his name is in V for Vendetta, because I've seen V for Vendetta so many goddamn times. <laughs> I haven't watched that movie in forever. Well, Zach, that's wrong. You should watch it every November. <laughs> Which day in November, Rob? The 5th. The 7th. <laughs> remember, <laughs> remember, the 7th of November. The 7th of November. November. <laughs> See, Ben got it. Ben got it. <laughs> no, I, I think, um, you know, if, uh, if there's nothing, I have some little tiny things. Are there any other scenes or anything we wanted to talk about with this movie? Um, uh, we didn't talk about any of the action. Well, we talked about we, how the physics about... are like kids playing with toys at the beginning. I think that sums it up. <laughs> so one, the the ninja scene. Oh, that's a good good. It's more like a ninja. I I love that. <laughs> it's terrible that, what passes for a ninja these days. <laughs> so like, that speaks to a universe where ninjas are like known about or something, <laughs> like. Like they're it's not, a known commodity. Yeah. So, like, I mean, whatever universe speed racer is happening, I'm like, ninjas exist, and people hire them and stuff. So, you know, that's pretty great. I did like it's that. A, it's, a, it's a good joke. More like and a then ninja. also, the joke... I mean, either, either ninjas exist, or he's also joking about that. Either way, it's great. <laughs> it's either campy or played extremely straight, regardless, Ben is thrilled. Yep, yep. yep. I have to say I love that for, like, what, two scenes in the middle at the end, the original Shaft shows up, Richard Roundtree. He plays Ben Burns. Ben Burns, yeah. That's Shaft, yeah. Oh, that was something else I wanted to bring up is, like, there's there's a redemption arc to some degree in this where, like, by Speed Racer winning the Grand Prix, it's almost as if racing in, in its entirety is redeemed. And uh, and Ben Burns amongst them because he's just like the world was changed. Like he literally says, like the world was changed by this, or, or the, this is yeah. going to change the, whatever. So like, and Ben Burns is is for you know for the audience, he's somebody that we learn was involved in a in a race fixing thing early on. Um, that's the 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 whole Grand Prix forty three speech. But um, I don't know that that kind of adds to the whole like. This, this movie doesn't fall straight into one of the storytelling archetypes. Like you got David and Goliath, but there's also that redemption theme. That's something more akin to the uh, rescuing your father from the underworld part. So like, yep. I don't know. It's it's uh, I, I found that interesting about it that it managed to to fit multiple storytelling uh, archetypes and didn't feel clumsy in doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love that. I think even as you just brought up that, you know, Ben Burns was kind of rooting for Speed Racer to win, to beat the system. That's also not really, you know, like the 
the primary part of that scene. Like it's just kind of tacked on. It's a it's a very kind of subtle thing, and I really like that. Adds to it for sure. Well, but like you have those weird moments though. Like like early in the like what after Speed Racer loses the race, the one about halfway through the what a third of the way through the film, and he sees him. He asks him like, "Well, was it rigged?" And he's like, well, me and the other driver, everyone thought we hate each other. Mm-hmm. Ain't that funny? And you don't know, like, he's clearly a product of that world. Yeah. And then by the end of the film, like, not that he's rooting for Speed Racer, but, like, it's he's glad that the machine has, has started to crumble. And yeah. that's, like, yeah. that's, that's the thing, though, is that, like, yeah, Speed Racer wins. And it is that kind of, like, all's well that ends well ending where it's like, okay, like, is the entire world going to kind of go to – Go like like what's the word? Is the machine going to collapse in nothing but kind of like what sunshine rainbows fill its place? <laughs> Probably not. Sure, but it's fun. But like in the world that this is, where everything kind of like good will triumph over evil, much like in the words of uh, Princess Bunhead, we're good. You're bad. Good, good. Bad, bad. Good is you're good. bad. We good. Bad is bad. Good beats bad. Bad is bad. Good is good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, like, again, like you were saying at the end, where, like, Inspector Detector shows up. It's like, this is going to change everything. And you have, like, Matthew Fox being like, it already has. And, like, no, that's fun. Like, I, I, that's a fun ending to have. That, like, your hero triumphs, especially after that, like, emotionally and just, like, sensory depleting experience where you're just like, oh, my God. Um, like, no, that's a fun ending. Like, it is. It's like, no, like I said, as much as I yeah. make fun of that one sequence, like, no, this is a fun movie, even though – I like I can only imagine like the executive screening this probably like in early 2008 just being like Jesus <laughs> Jesus how are we going to make this palatable to mass audiences like that's the thing there's a good movie in here I just don't know in the state that we have it in it could have ever been successful like this is one of those things like we talk about like we talked about it with Tron we talked about it with Starship Troopers we'll definitely talk about it next week with Dread is that like. Starship Troopers was always going to be an uphill battle because it's easy to confuse the sarcasm yes. with 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 whether it's unintentional or in, like or intentional. Tron, like Tron, is a inherently just it's too like odd looking of a film for most people. It's going to turn people off because it's like nothing you've ever seen before. And Tron Legacy, for the most part, looks like everything else. It's just unfortunately too sci-fi science fictiony maybe for most people but that's something that i imagine if you sat most people down they'd be like oh that was fine that was yeah yeah um this is one of those movies i think is probably even more of an extreme example than starship troopers where it would have been like i i just can't imagine a reality where this would have made like 200 plus million dollars yet at the same time though i i really can't believe we live in the reality where the matrix makes over 200 million dollars in the summer of my in the spring of 1999 (laughs) no yeah i mean it's 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 one of those unfortunate things that i like i said at the start i totally think this should have changed the world but it makes perfect sense that it didn't, unfortunately. Well, I, well, this is the question I ask you. Like, let's like this is the box office. Like, make another blank check reference. Oh, God, like, the, the, like, like, accept it, Rob. You're the Griffin. Ben's the Ben Deucer, and I'm David. Just accept it. Um, let's say this movie comes out a year later. So instead of having to go up against uh, Iron Man and Indiana Jones. It has to go up against X Men Origins Wolverine <laughs> and Terminator Salvation and Star Trek 09. Mm. Does this do better or worse? Well, okay, would... okay. Ter- 
Terminator cell. Okay, let's take Terminator out of the equation because Terminator was a Warner Brothers film. So instead of having to go against the against Iron Man and and um, oh god, uh, Indiana Jones, it has to go up against Wolverine and Star Trek 09. Which one th- does it do any better? I would have to think maybe a little better, but I can't say like a significant amount better. I mean, so you, yeah, despite the fact that generally Wolverine or, uh, Origins Wolverine was not well liked. The character Wolverine is popular enough to get people in those seats. I think the same thing with Star Trek. Yeah, but that's the thing, though. Is like, like I know Rob has heard me talk about this many, many times, even before the start of Cinematis, where it was like trying to figure out. Like, I think like th- this conversation was had a lot back when Pacific Rim came out in theaters in 2013. It was trying to gauge, and it's weird. This movie also reminded me a lot of Pacific Rim, having auteur like blockbuster filmmaker make a more esoteric blockbuster yeah, yeah. and it and it not really working. Yeah, I think Speed Racer works infinitely better than than Pacific Rim. Um I think there's there, there's much more to latch onto ironically, but at the same time though Pacific Rim was a much better received film. Like like think about that. Like Pacific Rim basically made two and a half times what Speed Racer did sure. in the US and made double what it did worldwide, which I just, I cannot wrap my head around. Obviously, b- the films were released in very different box office climates, one coming five years later. Um, but, like, it's still the idea of this. You have auteur blockbuster filmmakers making esoteric films. Yet, at the same time, like, if push came to shove, I would gladly turn Speed Racer on over Pacific Rim. I, I would give you that as well, I think. I'm not a big fan of Pacific Rim. Never even saw the second one. Pacific Rim 2, Pacific Rim harder. <laughs> Confe- Confessions of a Jaeger. Hyper Pacific Rim. <laughs> Hyper I'm Rim. surprised you guys didn't make a rim job joke. <laughs> oh, babe, we, we are classy on this podcast. We don't no. take the low. No, I'm with Ben now. I like no, that no. Pacific Rim 2, the rim job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh man, no! I, I think this is uh, this has been a doozy of a discussion because how do you really discuss something this dense? And I think we did it fairly well. Uh, we only got arrested by PETA three times. We're all doing this from our holding cells in PETA jail, which I'm sure exists. We scarcely discussed the plot of this movie. <laughs> oh come on! The plot of this movie can be described in either three sentences or thirty sentences. The it's plot the is other. everybody who's never seen it go watch it. <laughs> Well, okay, I mean, I'm you're not wrong, Zach. Okay, I will. Okay, with that being said, I'd love to know what everybody's. I, I think we'll all agree on cinematic status, but I'm curious what everybody's late night ranking or, or, or side of the fence we're gonna fall on. For okay, this. okay, I'm so let's curious. let's do cinematities around around the three of us first. Then uh, I'm with you, Zach. I put an absolutely down in my notes for cinematities here, not just for all the reasons I discussed, but for all the reasons I didn't discuss. <laughs> There is no reason in the universe that this movie would not be a cinemodity, is what I'm getting at. And I think, I think that's where you're coming from, too. Right, Zach? Oh, absolutely. This is a, a slam dunk of a cinemodity. Yeah, it's definitely weird. It's okay, okay. Right on. For Late Night, though, absolutely. This is my classic Ludovico technique. Duct tape people to a chair. Put the spikes in their eyes so they can't blink. And make them watch this movie. That's what I'm. That's where I'm going with this one again. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, there's no reason I wouldn't suggest this movie. I, I might put a know your audience qualifier on it, but maybe not quite as hard as some other movies. It's fun. It's whimsical. 
it's uh it's kind of crazy and out there um but yeah i think i would suggest it i like ben saying know your audience if your audience member is a is someone who knows about animal cruelty and is against it maybe not show them this movie <laughs> otherwise you're going to get into the debate about how excessive the force used against the chimpanzee was <laughs> Ben's like, show them movie, just don't give them any context whatsoever behind it. Well, I mean, I, I'm still gonna say we don't, we don't know how hard the chimp bit the child, and we don't know how hard the man hit the chimp. So literally, we know nothing that's important to know. Oh man. Okay, Zach. Unless that you, leaves you. Uh, unless I, I could imagine like Ben being the Johnny Cochran at that, being like, if you don't know the like the uh, the pressure of the of the the bite, then you must acquit. How like, hard did? Be... How hard was the kid bit? We don't know. You must acquit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, this isn't okay. Now you want this is the this is gonna be a first on Cinemati. Oh Jesus! I'm going to present you. You you're the last person I should be able to say that, Rob. Oh, considering all the weird things that you do, I pull you out firsts not- all the time. When you pull out a first, I'm legitimately worried. <laughs> yes. Okay, so I have a Cinemati's case study. Regarding the late night status of Speed Racer, and I'm go. I'm not going to give an answer either way. I want you two to decide for me based on what I lay out. So, as Rob knows, I saw this movie opening weekend with my mother and cousin. My mother was how old at the time? Like 50, 50 something years old. My cousin was a year and a half younger than me, so she was fourteen, and as I was fifteen, they both hated the movie. Okay, is she still a year and a half younger than me? Yes, Ben. She, yes. She's not. Yes, and she's ben. still. <laughs> That's, I, I think it's fucked up that you made your mom hang out with your. <laughs> does Ben know why? Does Ben know why she's my cousin? No, Ben has no knowledge of. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have any. That a that has to be bleeped out, and b it's this. Oh, it is. Okay, that's how much I forgot about her. I, I think most of the things you said this episode are getting bleeped out, Zach. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Okay, the reason why... I don't know, Ben. The reason why... And this might have to be cut out. We don't know. Who knows? I'll let Rob decide how much this gets cut out. The reason why she's my cousin, beyond all the other dumb things she's done in her life, the thing that sealed the deal was she has a tattoo, and I'm not making this up. She has a tramp stamp tattoo of our grandfather's signature. And ever since then, I'm like, oh, boy, like Rob always knew I had a, a somewhat low opinion of her and her intelligence <laughs> because like there's a story, too, about like how we were in high school. She was in the same chemistry class as a blind kid. And it's like nothing against the blind kid. It was the fact that like according to New York State, my cousin who has the ability to see with both of her eyes has the sor- same learning aptitude as a child that does not have the ability to see. And ever since then, I'm like, nope. Between that and the tattoo, I'm like, clearly there's an issue here. Who am I to judge? But here I am. So they both hated the movie. And then the blind kid kid was really against this movie. He missed a lot of it. (laughs) No, Ben, the blind kid, I, I don't think ever saw this movie, pun included. That's fucked up that you didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Experience this movie. So, but this is the thing I don't think I ever told Rob, was that in the summer of 2011, I went to Florida. My brother at the time had like like an in-house cinema. And we watched three movies. We watched, in this order, 
Inception, Tron Legacy, and Speed Racer. Ooh. And of those three, guess which of, of those of those three films, guess which was his favorite? Inception. I'm going to guess Tron. You are both wrong. His favorite was Speed Racer. Wow, okay. So with that being said, I, and this is my, okay, I've given you the case study. Now this is my take. I'm not saying this. I'm letting you two decide what my status is for late night movie. My take, and I want you to just factor this into your decision, I don't think this movie would work as a late night movie because it's too jarring for for the same reason why it bombed the box office. I think it's too jarring for normies. I, like Ben said, of course, like any sort of late night status, always know your audience because you can always poison the well depending on how stupid your captive audience is. So I don't think this movie – it's like in the same reason why I gave Halloween 3 Season of the Witch a no in the late night department. I think the movie is too odd for mass audiences. So with that in mind and based on everything else I've given you, debate. Do you think I should give this the ranking – label this as a late night movie based on what I've given you? Well, one, I think you're stretching this out so much because you really don't want to hear me talk about David Fincher. I'm very upset about because <laughs> Zach's like, I see Ben. He's going to sleep. Maybe Rob will not want to do another recording after this. But fuck you, Zach. No, I, uh, I, I was kind of thinking about this. I do have to be, in all honesty, I was thinking about this when I was doing my notes for Cinematis and Late Night that Zach was going to lean against us on Late Night because of the overwhelming style we've discussed ab- about how intense like kind of watching this movie is and keeping track of it. So I think I'm going to go with my gut. I think I'm going to go with that. You are going to lean no for late night movie because you're a a weird person. That's wrong a lot. So I I want to point out that during your monologue thing, you said diatribe, Ben diatribe. During your diatribe, you said you were leaning no on, on late night. Uh, But I also want to ask who gave a tattoo to a (laughs) (laughs) well ben you have to understand she was in prison for a while no i'm just kidding like we got i'm just imagining somebody with down syndrome going to the tattoo artist like i don't that is awesome All right, Ben. Ben picked up on the most important aspect of this entire story: not late night status, but who would give a tattoo to a mentally disabled person? Ben, you win. Ben wins. Ben, that's it. Rob, I want for late night status. I lost the the case study. (laughs) No, you didn't lose. It says Ben wins. That's all it says. Ben picked up on the real issue at hand and ignored the distraction and noise and picked up on the true issue here. Ben wins. End of story. Thank you, Ben. You are truly our finest film critic. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All God. right, Rob, snack. All right, Rob, where are snacks for this movie? As I said earlier, this is one of those movies I love so much I just kind of get lost in watching. I don't really have too much for snacks. I only have two. Uh, one I mentioned earlier, a bee's nest in a catapult. Mm. I don't know what we do with it, but we have to have one. Uh, so, so let's go with that. And then also I would love to have mom racers pancake recipe for the restaurant because I think I've said on this podcast before, I do not like pancakes or waffles, but if these pancakes are as good as they're made out to be, I would certainly give them a try. Those are my two snacks. What do you guys got? Uh, Chim Chim cookies, Chim Chim cookies. 
Is that just poop? Are we? Oh wow! Okay, Ben, that's one. That's one uh, idea. My thought was that uh, Zach was saying, "Let's double down on Peta hating us, and we're gonna kill a monkey and make cookies out of it." Well, the kid says "chim chim cookies" at some point. So yes, I, it's, it's 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 fecal matter that is thrown across the room. Yes. Um, <laughs> Thank you for corroborating that, Rob. I I think that we should dress up live crickets. We could probably use chocolate or something, but give them a car-looking exterior, and then you get to order a racetrack full of crickets that are jumping around looking like cars. <laughs> I don't even know where this is coming from. Are we eating the brilliant. crickets or are we racing the crickets? Uh, you're just watching them jump into each other, because that's more or less <laughs> what this whole movie is. <laughs> so you're getting the crickets from the motion of the cars, is what you're saying. Well, the, the cars jump. Like, they have little things that shoot up from underneath them. And yeah, they got, like, the springs, stilts on springs. Yeah. Yeah, so that's just the cricket's legs. Ben <laughs> <laughs> is like, what is a car with stilts on springs rather than a cricket? This is, like, I mean, some Socrates shit right here. <laughs> in, in, in terms of something, well, chocolate-covered crickets are already a thing. These ones just are, are not dead. And hey, just, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Uh, and then some of them have weapons, like razor blades in the chocolate. And when you eat them, you find out. How do I, like okay, I have a question. <laughs> this is like a miniature recreation of the movie, but with crickets. <laughs> I have a question. I have a question. Are we covering the crickets in chocolate? Uh, oh, I mean, they're going to be wearing, like, chocolate shells. They're not like... How do we do that without killing them? You put them to sleep first. <laughs> of course. Out of all the things we've had at this restaurant, Zach, I'm very surprised you're asking this question. <laughs> I'm asking, I don't know how you'd be able to pour chocolate over a cricket without A, killing it, or, like, inhibiting its ability to jump. No, you build the shell in two pieces, you put the cricket to sleep, you put the shell <laughs> on the cricket, and you either have it made so that it has little attachments that go in, or you just, like, melt it a little bit. You don't have to pour molten hot chocolate It's on gonna be an Iron Man <laughs> suit made out of chocolate. It's gonna have joints oh, and everything man. for these crickets. Oh, set. my God. <laughs> it, this all has to be done... You know, I mean, the, the chocolate parts are like kept in a freezer, so they're nice and hard. <laughs> and then, anyway, yeah, it works. It's fine. It's not hard. It's fine. It's- yeah, Zach, Ben and I are getting at one of my favorite questions to ask people. When we pitch an idea, why are you assuming we're going to do it wrong? like clearly you think there it's like it's like one of my favorite things to say is like the first person who said i want to invent something so people can breathe underwater and the other person goes that's stupid people can't breathe underwater but here we are with scuba gear zach you're gonna eat your words in a week from now we're gonna have chocolate armored crickets (laughs) <laughs> jumping around a racetrack I could barely finish that with a straight face <laughs> uh, I mean and we gotta put wheels on them too so they can drift if they want <laughs> Ben hit the on the head right there this is perfect <laughs> um, yeah so that's that's the idea I have right now well, I, I like it I like it I can't wait to listen to this and have to type that into the spreadsheet that's gonna be ridiculous uh any other snacks from you guys because I'm all out I'm surprised we didn't go with the milk like the weird fashion yeah, drinking milk, milk at the end. oh yeah oh yeah milk I mean is that we're saying just milk candy 
Cult milk. Well, candy's Can- so simple. I didn't want to go with candy. Well, I like the fact that numerous times in this movie, people knock food off of a table. Like, we have an entire, <laughs> like, display set up. Like, an entire spread, like, after the first, like, what, circuit of the Casa Cristo. And Rain just literally pushes it all down. And then at the end, Royalton literally just knocks over an ice sculpture of a race car. Like, there's a lot of knocking things off tables, which I think is would be a lot of fun. I think that just goes without saying is already occurring in the Cinemodities restaurant, to be honest. I think we need an ice sculpture you can knock over. Like, it's a premium oh, experience. Okay, you have okay. to call ahead, but we get an ice sculpture and you knock it off of the table. Would the ice sculpture be of our logo, the VHS tape? Oh, I don't know. It could be depending on your feeling. It could be, you know, it should be the ice sculpture of the Chim Chim uh, actor, <laughs> monkey actor. In memoriam. <laughs> The chim chim that got hit too hard. <laughs> what it is, it's not even the sculpture. We tell people it's an ice sculpture, but we just take a chimpanzee. Actually, a frozen monkey. <laughs> frozen monkey. <laughs> it's like, when you knock it over, it shatters. But <laughs> Ben's like, I swear, if we can coat crickets and chocolate, we can coat a chimpanzee in ice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you don't care about the chimp dying. You just throw it in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Peter again go, knocking right? at our door. <laughs> um, uh, for me, I feel like we should. It's it's not a snack, of course. Obviously, it doesn't have to be food. We should just sell snake oil. Like, are you guys, are you familiar with, with like, snake oil? Sure. Like, being a thing that's just like something that doesn't work that people are selling. Yeah. We just sell sure. bottles of snake oil. Okay. Okay. Ben, I think that's literally the Cinematis restaurant. Is snake oil. Every item is snake oil. <laughs> the entire restaurant is snake oil. You're selling the public something that doesn't exist. Have you ever tried to get oil out of a snake? Oh, God. Who Every hasn't? Day. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty tough to do without one of you killing the other one. Um... <laughs> nice. Nice. Oh, God. This episode is insane, as it should be for an insane movie, Speed Racer. I guess that brings us to the end where we have to say, I have two things to say. Well, maybe three things. One, once again, uh, feel free to contact us, cinematis at gmail.com or cinematis subreddit, where r slash cinematis, where you can tell us how much we've angered you, PETA. That's where to contact us. Uh, you can also, of course, give us a rate and review, subscribe anywhere fine podcasts are sold, or just subscribe to our Patreon to give us more money and get access to great, great bonus content that Zach is trying to weasel his way into now. Yeah, this fucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I have. The second thing I have is how do we end this episode? I think we're all in agreement. We have to play the Speed Racer theme in reverse, right? Oh, oh, we didn't talk about the Speed Racer theme for the movie. The floor is yours, Zach. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I want known. Talk about it so we can acknowledge it and play it in reverse. (laughs) Yes, I want it known that ever since I heard the special theme they did for this movie, I'll never be able to hear the regular Speed Racer theme again without hearing some sort of weird, like, English, like, like, Spanish, like, up-tempo pop song. Oh, sure, sure. It is, yeah, it is. Well, of course, back in the 60s, the theme song was very different from what they can do these days. But no, I think they're both great. So I'm, I'm totally fine with taking the one from the uh, the Wachowskis movie and using it, for sure. Dope. 